This is John Verveke. This is Simon Essler. Hi, it's Heather Prozac. This is Tom Luongo. This is Alex Craner. This is Steve Kirsch. This is Dr. Pierre Corey, and you are listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Monday. Somewhere I am driving to the United States of America. Driving to the States. Anyways, yeah, I'm having fun. It's holidays, folks. That being said, I promised you some episodes, and I'm not going to relent. They are coming hot and heavy, fast and hard. I don't know the right terminology. Who cares? I'm on holidays, eh? (laughs) I'm kidding. I mean, I'm literally still recording, aren't I? So (laughs) let's get to today's episode sponsors before we get to the show. Uh, Canadians for Truth are a nonprofit organization consisting of Canadians who believe in honesty, integrity, and principled leadership in government. Uh, They have been doing a series of live shows. You know, the last one I got to go see was Sarah Palin. Uh, They had Shadow Davis before that. Before that would have been uh, Tamara Leach. They've had Chris Barber. They've had uh, a whole cast of characters on stage with Theo and Jamie. Of course, they all have their, their shows, Theo, Jamie, and uh, Joseph. If you go to canadiansfortruth.ca, you can find out all about that. You can also follow them on Instagram, Facebook, etc. to keep up with uh, what they got coming on here uh, in, the, in, you know, in the coming uh, months. Uh, Prophet River, uh, that's Clay Smiley and the team over there. Shout out to Ed uh, and, uh, and his work. You know, he, uh, we got to meet, um, we got to meet Sean's brain vacation mode right now folks we got to sit down uh had brett oland and uh, ceo of bow valley credit union he got to sit and and you know meet him firsthand anyways i was just shout out to ed so you know it's like sean where's your brain at um holidays holidays yeah we're driving in a car right now probably uh uh kids are screaming it's gonna be interesting that's that's probably where i'm at folks anyways just an idea they sp- Prophet River. They specialize in, uh, you know, they probably specialize in earplugs, I bet you. Hey, probably should have bought a couple of those for the old car ride. Anyways, they specialize in importing firearms from the United States of America, pride themselves in making this process as easy as possible for all their customers. And let's be honest, our government right now, not making it easy on any of you. So wouldn't you want a team in your corner that knows what the heck they're doing, can get you uh, everything you want from the store to your doorstep, all you got to do is go to ProfitRiver.com. They are the major retailer of firearms, optics, and accessories serving all of Canada. Tyson and Tracy Mitchell, that's Mitchco Environmental. They're looking for equipment operators. Uh, they uh, would like to point out the farming experience. So all you farming kids out there is uh, is a bonus. So if you're looking for a job, they're looking for equipment operators. They're also looking for laborers, seasonal or full-time. And uh, if you're interested, reach out via phone, 780-214-4004. If you're kind of curious of what the heck Mitchco is, go to mitchcocorp.ca. You can kind of get a get a feel. They're a, a business, family-run business here in Lloydminster where you can make some solid, solid money uh, working around uh, the town of Lloydminster, essentially. I mean, I, I know they do a little bit further out, but you kind of get uh, the sense of where they're they're situated. Carly Kloss and the team over at Windsor Plywood. I got to give a shout out to Carly's wife, Brandy. She's making age or painting making. Well, I guess making too. Painting a giant, giant mural on the north side of Lloyd on the old uh, co-op building. It's I remember getting groceries from there with uh, Grandma and Grandpa way, way back when, when they had drive through pickup. Everybody remember that? Anyways. And uh, shout out to him, anyways, uh, to him and his wife, more to, I guess, Brandy, because it's a huge endeavor to ma- 
paint a huge mural like that. Anyways, Windsor Plywood, they're the builders of the podcast studio table. Whether we're talking mantles, desks, decks, desks, decks, decks, Sean. Mantles, decks, windows, doors, sheds, podcast studio table. Uh, you know, my wife even said the other day, you know, if we ever redo our, our table, I'd, you know, you, you could talk to Carly. And I'm like, are you talking about getting a river table for uh, our kitchen table? Anyways, they, that's how I tell you, sharp. So stop in to Windsor Plywood today. They can get you hooked up. They know all about wood. Now, onto that tail of the... Pre- well, actually, before I get to the tail of the tape, I want to remind people that uh, uh, the Patreon account is back up and running. We just released... <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, as you can tell, I don't really, I don't, I made it a conscious effort not to stop when I screw up on the show notes or like, you know, the, not the show notes, the, the advertisements at the start. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, but you got to roll with the punches. When it comes to the tail of the tape, what's next? I screw up on that all the time. I try and get that like picture perfect. And I released for the first time ever on Patreon. I filmed myself doing the last one. I don't like, yeah, I got it on the second try. So, uh, if you're interested in seeing a little bonus footage, uh, go to the show notes, go to Patreon, and uh, it's behind a paywall. I want to forewarn everybody, but if you want to support the podcast, that's one way to do it. And I'm going to start releasing some bonus content. You're going to see me in all my glory, maybe not so much glory, and uh, maybe have a laugh or two, get some feedback. I would appreciate it. And uh, if you don't, that's totally cool too. All right. Now let's get on that tale of the tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals, delivering to your farm, commercial, or oil field locations. For more information, visit them at HancockPetroleum.ca. He's a former sergeant who is a member of the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. He did four different tours overseas. I'm talking about Chuck Prodnick. So buckle up. Here we go. the Sean Newman podcast I'm joined by Chuck Prodnick now we're talking about we might as well just let everybody in on what we've been talking about because it's it's a a, a reversal I get um, Martin Armstrong right after you so Martin Armstrong normally would come out later but because of the way it's flip-flopping and it's Martin freaking Armstrong I was just telling you a little bit about him he's going to come out on Friday you're going to come out on Monday yeah and uh, we were just talking about uh, going down the rabbit hole of uh, you know these different predictions on cycle uh, cyclical things happening throughout history yeah anyways and, I, and then i cut you off well we were it, it's i'd never really heard about him um i know a lot of the other financial gurus that are in that realm i guess i've just never picked on his thread yet but i'm going to but we were talking about how these things run if you look back on human trend throughout history there are cycles when empires start to decline when things start to happen you're like you can your brain can see it and whether or not you pick up on it or not is, you know, these 60 year cycles, 50 year cycles, eight year cycles. And, uh, yeah, well, his big number, and I want to ask him all about this. And I guess, you know, mm -hmm. the listener is going to be kind of like in a bit of, not in a bit of shock. I always laugh. It's like, it's not like it's that big a deal, but one of the things he talks about is the pie cycle. Mm -hmm. I believe it's called the pie cycle anyways. And it's 8.6 years. And so things going in. And I think, you know, like it's, it's funny to me, it makes, like why so many of us can't pick up on any of this yes. is pretty simple. We like I'm day to day, maybe year to year. Yeah, go go in the United States every four years. Yeah, right. And you you can see how small our cycles are. Yes, we we we're, we're just constantly on this loop, right? I mean, media does a lovely job 
of keeping you distracted all the time. So yeah. you can never really pick up on the long-term trend of what's happening. Yeah. And if you're somebody who could take a step back from that and go and just connect the dots, all of a sudden you become, you can, you can be, you can, what's the word I'm looking for here? You can like, you can see the disruption in a pattern of life. Yes. What's, what's out of normal for what isn't synced right now. And overseas, we used to call, say, use pattern of life all the time on the daily, on the hourly. You used to use of pattern of life? Pattern of life was something, it's an, it's a, it's an indicator that your spider sense is saying, this is not normal pattern of life. So your spider sense would kick in and say, well, what is not normal here? What's, what am I queuing in on? that I'm not fully aware of. And so you'd look at the next guy next to you and he'd be like doing the same thing. Like my spider senses are going off because something in the normal pattern of life for where you are, it's not normal to our pattern of life here, but over there, what you've become accustomed to, something is disturbing the force. And you're like, oh, we better figure this out or they're gonna, we're gonna get hit. And sure, sure enough, that would be it. But it's a matter of you recognizing it and acting on it. So when you apply that to back home, What's our pattern of life? What's normal for us? Who, who taught you that? Is it like, you know, like I, I feel like somebody that was older in the army would be, would talk. Yeah. About yes. But it, honestly, we picked up on that more from Americans that were, we were very fortunate with our battle group that went over in 06. Um, Colonel Hope brought over the guys who we were relieving Americans from the 173rd. These are top, these are really good guys, top tier guys. They'd been in combat for 18 months straight there. He brought over their leadership cadre when they were supposed to be going home on leave. They came over and trained us for a week and passed on all their lessons learned. This was like unprecedented. Nobody had done this before. And I'll admit, normally we would take American advice and be like, nah, no, thank you. Thanks. But I've trained with you before and I've seen what you're capable of and it's not great. In this situation, we were like, these guys have been in combat for for 18 months straight, like day in, day out. They've lost a lot of dudes. They've learned all the lessons and paid for them in blood, sweat and tears, a lot of blood. So we, most of our leadership cadre, some guys still had this mentality, like they're Americans, no thanks. Which is wild. It's 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 all professional jealousy. It's t-shirt protecting, you know, yeah. you, you, same thing in uh, hockey, you jersey protecting or, you know. Sure, yeah, Every, yeah, yeah. every profession does this. Podcast prote uh, protecting, all of it. sure. Absolutely. It. So... For me, knowing where we were going, and a lot of, not just me, but guys like me, we knew where we were going. We knew it was bad. I wanted to hear from the horse's mouth, how bad is it going to be? And what do we do to mitigate this? And I can remember this platoon sergeant, we call them warrants, but he was a platoon sergeant. So he's got 17, 18 years in, normal looking dude. He's not, he's like 5'5", five, five, stocky. He... He's going to brief our leadership cadre on like an after Thursday afternoon at like four. And I'm like, fuck this. I want to go home. Like even in my head, I'm like, it's four o'clock, bro. Time to clock out. We're all formed up in this uh, little hall in our building, like probably 40 of us. Basically the, the leaders that kind of needed this briefing. And, uh. And he has this overhead projector. Now this is 04. Five or this, yeah, this is late 05 because we left in January of 06. And he's using an overhead projector. And we're, t so this is old tech for us. We're like, dude, where's your power? Where's your computer and your, and your slideshow for us and fancy this up for us? He's, he's got his 
paper on this thing and his, his you know, scrawled out marker stuff on this, you know, talc paper he's got on there. And he, he reveals it to us on the wall. And the first thing it says is ounces make pounds. And I could just hear the audience go like, these are all dude. These are all senior dudes in our battalion, alpha male, no fuck around guy, kind of guys. And everybody kind of went, <sighs> and then you could kind of just see people go, it's the simplest thing to say to someone but it made sense ounces make pounds and so what did he break that down into as he started to reveal his thought process every single thing has a weight and over there weight is life and you better you better ratio between liquid bullets food meds nothing else matters nothing all this gucci stuff we're carrying for the last my 50 15 years at that point in my career I had Gucci stuff shoved everywhere. What's, what's Gucci stuff? Like um, you're, we, we were all kit whores. We could, you know, we weren't marching in 60 degree weather. We were marching around in Canada, you know, not, we're just playing the game, you know, I'd be on tours and stuff, but not, not like this. And, um, so we were all kind of like kit whores, you know, in hockey, you got the latest, this, the latest, that, no matter what your job is, if you're a carpenter, I've seen carpenters with some pretty, I think of a, I think of a golf bag, yeah, you know, yeah, you, golf got the, bag, you, yeah. you got everything hanging off the yeah, side of it. You're a like, yard why sale. Do I, why don't I even have this? You look like a yard sale, right? <laughs> I'm not saying we look like yard sales, but we had, if we could own it, if it was in a catalog or online, man. And he's like, no ounces make pounds. And I'll tell you what. The next day, we all had our scales out in the lines where we worked, weighing everything. He's like, this weighs this much. Did you know that? And we're like, no, I just know it's heavy. How much does 10 mags of ammo weigh? Now, do you want to put an 11th mag, a 12th mag in? What are you taking out to make that work? Well, I can hump that weight. Mm Mm-hmm. When it's 60 degrees out and you're chasing a dude up a mountain, you're not hauling that weight. So he broke it down that way. He, he's also, I'm pretty sure, the guy that introduced us to pattern of life. And like that phrase, that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that feeling of it. And I'm sure we'd all kind of, we'd been on tours before, those of us that had been, like Bosnia, Kosovo, whatever. You notice things there too. You do. You, you go to West Ed Mall or I go to West Ed Mall or you go to the mall here or something and something's off. And you're like, hmm, what is this? Over there, it's life or death. It can be life or death here too. Don't get me wrong, but then you we're sheltered here in Canada. We are sheltered. I here. mean, we we can easily say that. And you're going, you're talking about war. Yeah. Right. So I mean, pattern of life makes a heck of a lot of sense to me. Anyways. Oh, so this guy turns out he's a legend in his unit, the one seventy third. But he's just a soft spoken, mellowed out. The thing about these guys, once they've seen the level of action, they've seen combat, they've seen done. Once you've lost certain things in your life, the way they've lost. And I understand that part. Now you become a little more humble, a little less, uh, full of hubris. Like I got this, you know, you better still have a, I got this attitude, but know what you can lose. Understand that you will lose at some point and you better just fight through that. But this guy, we found out not from him, but from the guys he was with his sergeants that were with him because we spent a week with them and we basically, my platoon adopted them in as, as often as we could. Like some guys, some other leadership were like, it's Americans. Thanks, but no thanks. I just couldn't understand that at that point. 
and some were like trying to hog all their time and we were, they happened to like us. We were the way we were. So they kind of globbed onto us. That's what happens in anything. So one of the sergeants pulls out, pulls out a memory stick, slides it into our computer and he's like, read this. So it's the write-up of this guy. I think his name was Ken White. He was a platoon sergeant. Read this write-up of Ken White. It's what he won his, his medal for. He won a medal over there in combat. And basically they'd attacked a compound um, they were in a huge battle. This first sergeant had gone in with his guys. Um, it was pretty close to down to hand to hand combat at a certain point. Apparently it was that bad. It was that dirty. And he was essentially in hand to hand fighting, which is unheard of. Like it's, this doesn't happen in modern combat. Like it's, it just doesn't, um, and he survived it and got his guys out of it. And the write-up, I, I can't do the write-up justice by paraphrasing through it, but suffice to say, like, we looked at this guy who was already kind of a growing legend to us just because of his demeanor. You expect them to come in like a, I don't know what we expected, but we expected to come in like cock of the walk, we call it, or, you know, in anything. You expect this guy to walk into the change room and be like, I'm the dude, accept it, move on. You know, he was just, he didn't flash it that way, right? And that made us even more appreciative of the fact that this guy is a legend. Like, wow, a legend. <laughs> and uh, then we go over and it's humbling right away. Like we go back over or we go over, we do our hand handoff with these guys. So we, we start doing patrols. First patrol out the gate with them. Like we get to Kandahar, the big base. We roll out. Patrol one, we're IED'd. Right away, where IED'd, like, not not like a month in. Like, remind myself and the listeners, IED, uh, improvised explosive device. So here in the Western world, they like to say roadside bomb. It's not on the side of a road. It's under a road or in a culvert. It's it's meant to blow up underneath you. Um, so we hit one immediately. Now th these things back then were designed for taking out Humvees because that's all the Americans had to pull around in was Hummers. So they would be essentially one Chinese rocket, like one um, one Chinese 107 shell basically is what they were using because that's what they had access to. And that would be enough to take the tires off or the front end off a Hummer. You know, it'd mess up a Hummer pretty good. But for our LAV fighting vehicles, it took off, it took on that particular vehicle, took off the front left tire and did some damage, undercarriage damage, obviously. The boys were rocked, but still in action. You know, we recovered the vehicle, got it, you know, but, but, but telling, you know, like I've never been IED'd and I honestly, honestly, Chuck, I hope I never IED'd. No, I hope nobody else is. Yeah. Right. So you got to walk me like, you're like, oh yeah, we got IED'd on the first day out. Yeah. Like, I mean, is that just like one, like, are you talking like you're, you're, you're buckled in? You're not buckled in. No. This is like r rolling. You, you can't be, so your head's off the roof and you're like, what the heck just oh, yeah. happened? So especially for the driver of this one, cause it was the front driver's side wheel, if I recall correctly it shook him to hell. Like he was concussed, you know, um, the guys in the back were bumped around, but not too badly. This was a small ID. This was the smallest one we faced. This was basically a test for the Taliban to see what we need to do to take out a lav. Eventually by the end tours, they were splitting lavs in half. Like they would take, um, they would take... How did you guys protect against that? Sorry, I... Because no, no. I'm like, okay, so this is this is the interesting thing. And actually, 
it uh you know it, it kind of reminds me a little bit i don't know why i guess got marty armstrong on the mm. mind of right like the world elites have this grand old plan mm-hmm. but they kind of forget that the other team gets to play too 100 right? and yeah. so even though they're they're slow and we've been slow on the uptake they still get to play yeah and once they start playing oh man they can be pretty ferocious yeah. and they're actually pretty smart oh they got a couple of smart people on that side i didn't see that coming right and on and on and on it goes you get the point so here here you're you're going and the first one you know it knocks off a wheel and you're like whew. Well, at the time, I, I don't know what you're thinking, but I mean, all right. And the Taliban are looking at, okay, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this. By the end, they're absolutely destroying these vehicles. Yeah. What, like, what were you doing in between to make sure that you didn't get hit by one of them if they're hiding them that well? Well, there's so all the things that you can do. So we had an electronic warfare component that was supposed to mitigate um, if they were being remotely detonated by a fob. They loved using like a garage fob or a key fob. Sure. So just knock out the signal. Try and knock out the signal. The problem was... Straight from Dark Knight Rises. I get it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it would be great tech if it worked. Didn't Ours didn't typically work. At that point, no six. We, and I mean, and if it doesn't work, once again, sorry. If it doesn't work, like people are dead, right? Like, uh, especially at that point. Actually so like, dead, yeah. For yeah. real dead. Um, it, it was newer tech. For us, it didn't work properly. Also, we would typically roll around in five vehicle elements in a platoon of 35 guys. So four fighting vehicles, the labs, and then a G-Wagon, the the G-Wagon military version. And that thing, this is 06 again, this all changed. But in 06, the G-Wagon had that device. That device is good for about a 50 meter bubble. Well, unless you're driving on top of each other, like a NASCAR rally, you're not protecting nothing because we had to have spacing. It's dusty and not a little dusty. Like, oh, I'm in Saskatchewan when it's a little windy. It's like, you can't see Which anything. is still pretty dusty. It's still pretty dusty. Yeah. It's, it's over there. You, you know, it, you can't see anything. So the, it was just, it wasn't effective. And we found that at least on that tour, they weren't using the fobs so much to, to detonate. They would use, um... Uh, they'd hardwire it in and then hit a battery connector with, so they'd use old wire. We're talking old junkyard wire, just run that to the IED and then hit a battery terminal and boom. So we knew that there'd have to be a sight man and like the trigger man to do this. And you would get hit and we got hit a lot on that tour, like a lot, um, especially in the early portion. There'd always be a trigger man somewhere. And very rarely did he ever make it out. Um, that's just, that was the nature of the beast, right? That was how it went. So, um, or they'd throw an ambush on top of it. Like I, the one, one of the worst ones I was involved in, um, they were, they were all bad. Honestly, after that, that was a great eye opener for us. If it could have been, I, IEDs are always terrible, but that was as good an eye opener as I could have. We, we really needed that to be like, this is for real. It's not, there's no downtime here. A patrol anywhere is dangerous. This mindset had to change for us, right? This had to happen. And uh, the one IED we hit near what we called the Red Devil Inn. Um, the Red Devil Inn? Yeah. So our company was, was Red Devils. Red Devils, yeah. So one of our early in that tour areas of operation was a place the Russians couldn't crack. And it was this ring of mountains called the belly button or we, it was nicknamed the belly button. 
that it was a Taliban stronghold. Even the Russians couldn't get into it. So what did we do? We said, oh, we're... <laughs> we're Canadian. We'll we're, go get it. We'll figure this out. We'll, we'll throw through. The 30. pissing contest yeah, begins. This is what happens, right? Meanwhile, there's burnt out Russian gear everywhere. And we're like, well, this is, this is, can't be great. So it's a, strategically, it's in the middle of nowhere. Tactically, it means nothing. But by God, we're going to show these but Russians. Pride. But pride. So we're going to throw 30 Canadians at a time, a platoon of Canadians on the edge of the belly button. There's two ways in. There's like two roads in or out of this place. That's it. So you run a 50-50 chance, less than 50-50 chance of getting out of there successfully when you're doing any kind of patrolling or turnover or, you know, you'd spend a month there. I'm talking you're living in a mud compound, you know, 30 dudes plus some, your Afghan national soldiers of another 30 dudes in a spot the size of a postage, that parking lot out back where I parked. It's tiny. It's yeah. So what's that? Fifty feet by fifty feet, maybe seventy five yeah, by seventy five. It's but nothing. Yeah, you get the idea if you're listening. And so, all you're doing is sitting in this bowl with spotters watching you the whole time. Oh, today they went left. Today they went right. And they get on their radio, call up the road, and who'd ever have to run out there and you know put the I get ready on the IED because they're all pre placed. He's waiting for you. So you asked about how do you mitigate this? So we would try and change up our routes as often as we could. Well, when you only have two options. Pretty hard. It's pretty hard. So we would, and well, you'd think, well, just go off-road. People don't understand this terrain. We'd off-road as often as we could, as for wherever we could. But it's like driving on moon rock, like in these mountainous areas. It's not like normal going to BC and look at this beautiful terrain or something. It's basically a mountain with moon rocks all over, like monstrous rocks bigger than this room. So it's like you're not crawling through it's, that. It's probably one of the one of the one of the things that uh, I wish I'd done more of before we had kids. But I, in saying that, I got to travel quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've never, you know, I when you know you see the movies of it, you see sure you can watch National Geographic or yep. whatever and kind of get. But until you've actually been there and and kind of understand some of the things, it's like. You really can't understand, right? It Everything. is it is an absolutely beautiful place that is trying to kill you all the time. Even <laughs> if the Taliban weren't there, it would still try and kill you. It's just that kind of environment. It's unforgiving. It's 60 degrees on a hot day. This, this just, is what, like, I don't know, military, uh, once upon a time in younger years, um, I wanted to be a pilot. Mm-hmm. Eyes weren't great. Eyes still aren't the greatest. Although in that uh, laser eye surgery was just coming around, and I was I'd been looking in to see, yeah. well, if I get laser eye surgery, can I do it? Anyways, it never ended up happening for me, and and, and maybe that's a good thing. Who knows? Maybe I was you know destined for this instead of that. Yeah. And uh, probably some would agree with that. Some would say, anyways, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Um, one of the things that just amazes me every time I talk to all you military vets is you talk about, yeah, you know, like the IEDs, you try and like, you know, you try and mitigate them. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's like, I mean, but every time you get in a vehicle then. Every time. You have the opportunity, possibility, I guess, not opportunity, the possibility you're dead. Yeah. Because at the start, they don't know what they're doing. But the Afghanis, as they go along. They learned. They learn fast. Like they're... They don't, they don't make... Not only would I say they don't make mistakes, if they made a minute error in judgment tactically, it was corrected Does it bother you in, uh, and maybe I'm wrong on this, maybe maybe I, maybe this is my perception and I'm wrong on this, but in movies where they try and focus on the Taliban or whatever, they make them seem like they're a bunch of morons, not morons, morons isn't the right word. They're just a faceless wave enemy. 
right yeah. that doesn't yeah. really that, that attacks you as a horde instead yeah. of smart yeah right like they're they're not they're not this creative it's always honestly i'm going to pick on the americans for a sec the americans are always the clever ones oh yeah and yeah. and and they're you know like i was just this has nothing to do with uh um with with war but i was just watching gemini man with will smith right yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. his ability just to pick off like 18 guys in a row with 18 bullets and you're like well it's john wick-esque right but like over any time that war movies happen and I mean, I guess in in the basic sense of a war movie, it's propaganda, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it is. But you never see the Taliban as being. Right. I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I'm, I'm curious if you see the same thing. Well, that's a great. Um, it's a great idea to bring up because it's something that, as guys who've been in combat, you know, I watch documentaries. I watched every war movie that comes out. I watch it. I want to see what they got right or wrong, you know? Um, and that's a great perception that you've, you've had. Cause it's something that we talk about as well in the veteran community, or at least guys who've seen combat anyway. So to, it's interesting cause Covenant just came out on, I think it's prime and it's got, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and I, beautiful uh, man. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Yet. I have. It's so it's, no, it's why I made the phone call. Actually, I didn't tell you that, I but I, I, yeah. I sat and watched it with the yeah. wife. Thought it was a very good movie. And I'm it like, is. I wonder what Chuck thinks about this. It's, well, let's talk about that for a minute. Sure. We'll so if you haven't there. if you haven't seen Covenant, it just came out like I don't know two weeks yeah. ago. Jake Gyllenhaal is a is a army. I, I don't know seal. what his station is, but I he, think he's a seal in it. You yeah. know, he gets trapped behind enemy lines, and his interpreter drags him halfway across the country to yeah. save his life, and then uh, he goes back solo to save that guy's life yeah. and his family's to bring him across the U.S. I wish I remembered the interpreters names at the, the actor's name because he was brilliant in it like oh, we can find that um quick. oh yeah we have the google probably so he was it's a great movie overall it's funny too because it starts off and it shows on the screen it's like oh this is lashgar dar salim and he, i hope i say that right that he played ahmed in the movie and he's he's and jake gyllenhaal played master sergeant john kinley so yeah both of them were brilliant in the movie i think like in and as far as playing an interpreter, I think he had that one great line in there too that was about, I'm not here to interpret, I'm here to translate. And people don't pick up on that who've never had to deal with that part of the world, that part of it. Um, before the 06 tour, I'll be all over the place here for a minute, but before the 06 tour, I was put on um, a tactical questionnaire course. Did, did he say... Now you have to remember my, um, um, once mm -hmm. again, you get, this is folks, if you haven't listened to me and Chuck, this is our <laughs> third time, I think, yeah, right? Third, third yeah, time. Yeah. Did he say that now I'm, I'm remembering it wrong. Did he say, I'm not here to translate. I'm here to interpret. He no. said, I'm not here's, really. Yeah. I'm not here to, I'm not your interpreter. I'm here to translate. Ooh. Okay. Well, well then, t cause my brain remembers that differently, which is well, really maybe weird. I could be wrong too, but I could be, I do drink heavily, but, <laughs> <laughs> but either way, he's, he's trying to impart that. No, he's not just there to say word for word. Correct. He, I, I agree. Yeah. Everything you're saying. I yeah. could be backwards in the analogy though. Um, but he's trying to say, look, I'm here to help you understand why they're saying what they're saying and what it means when they're saying a certain thing. And um, I would have never really. Here, oh, this, is, this, is, this is what we're going to do. Well, we'll see if we can, uh, people will come along for a ride with us, won't they? I think they will. John. You tell he's approaching. We'll see who's right. 
remember a thing. I don't remember any of it. I only remember the interpreter. We'll get to the line, because it says it in the trailer. Does it? I'm sure it does. Don't disappoint and turn out to be a pain in the ass. No, not me, sir. Money is the reason he wants this job. It's Alabama killed his son. Stop the vehicle, Sergeant. We don't want to go down this road. You're out of your bounds, Ahmed. You're here to translate. Actually, I'm here to interpret. John, you have tallies approaching. There you go. Yeah. You're welcome. You were right. My brain remembers it yeah. right. Um, Either way, I understand exactly what you're saying. So when I went on this in, um, tactical questioner course, which is basically the polite way of saying interrogation, Canadian version of saying interrogation, but it's tactical questioning. Um, we picked this up from the British who'd adopted this strategy of using frontline infantry soldiers to triage through POWs or potential or persons under control pucks. So you would triage through, is this somebody you want to pass up the line or is he just a nobody get gone you kind of thing. And it's, so I was in the first iteration of this run by the British guy in Kingston and there was a handful, there was like, well, there's me and three other guys from my unit on it. Um, two of, two of whom are dead now. Um, so part of this course, and it was a, probably my favorite course in the military that I took. And I've had all the Gucci courses, all the bougie courses you could ever want in the infantry. I got them. This was probably one of the most interesting, ch most challenging courses to take in that it's all about how to safe crack somebody's brain very quickly, like to see, you know, what's going on with somebody's brain. And part of this was using interpreters. And I'm like, how hard can that be? Like, really? Um, so they, what they did was they hired actors to come in and my first iteration with these actors, you, so there was a subject, the bad guy who's an actor and then the interpreter. Who's who, an actual interpreter, correct? Well, my first two are these German guys who happen to know each other. So these are older German guys. Like we're talking, you know, in their sixties, they're just, they, they came out to, to do this thing. Like they, they heard there's a guys from all over the world, but these are just locals to Kingston who were like basically brought in to do this. Like there's always these okay. things. Okay. So you got one guy who's, who's just so I'm laying this right yeah. for my brain. You got one guy who you're going to interrogate. Yeah. He's a German. Yeah. Then you have an interpreter. He's a German. Yeah. They know each other. They're both old guys. They're both old guys. This is the first time you've ever done this. Yeah. Okay. Carry so on. I've been on the course for like a week or whatever, learning all these techniques and tactics and how to talk to people and pick up nonverbal communication and all the things that you're trying to do to become an effective tactical questioner. And then they throw this interpretation. Now it doesn't matter that they're German. I think there was another team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a team no, no, no. from Lebanon. There was a team from the, Greece. The whole, the whole point of it is you can't understand I what can't they're understand talking. can't understand what they're saying. Yes. So <laughs> I, I kind of cheated a little bit in that I, you know, the one guy's playing this guy we captured on the battlefield and the other guy's playing, you know, interpreter guy. And I kind of cheated a little bit inadvertently in that I treated them like both because they were older dudes, like they were grandparents. I kind of treated them naturally like that and kind of, so the dude who was playing the prisoner kind of just gave it all up. Like all the stuff he was supposed to hold on to for a few hours, you know, I was supposed to draw out of him. There's a whole script that they follow. 
we don't know what the script is. We don't know what the information is. That's the job is to try and draw it out of them. But he just, we just kind of got along so well, you know, but it was difficult using the interpreter, even though they're German, they're not Afghani, you know, it was still really difficult. There was still a challenge. There was still a, well, what does he mean by that? There does he mean, and then, and then he'd be like, well, you know, this is what he means by this. And I'm like, do I trust you? Do I don't trust you? So already the seed is planted in my head. You get that over, you don't trust the interpreter and how can uh, I entrust, uh, trust what he's interpreting yes. out of the prisoner? So then you add the, the Afghan complexity to this once you're over there. Which and, is? You can't trust them all. I know that there's a big hubbubaloo in the news and the veteran community stands behind these Terps. And for the most part I do, but I can also tell you, we busted several of them who were diamond us out, who were making, who were informing on us. I don't blame them in this regard. I'm not, I don't hold a grudge against that. They were quite often, like you saw in Covenant, they had his family. Yeah. They're threatening them. Um, you're on their homeland. You're on their home. And what really, unless we win and there's no way we're going to, we're not, we're not going to win that war. We win every battle. You're not going to win that war. These guys know what's going to happen to them when they're done. We should have really made an effort to get them all out. It's, it's disgusting that we didn't, but we had some fantastic interpreters, like guys who, you know, uh, who, who risked everything just is very, that movie's is pretty close to, in a lot of ways, how as a soldier, when you deal with interpreters, and especially for me, cause I, because of my, one of my roles, I dealt with them daily all the time. Um, it was difficult cause if you knew you had a bad one, one who barely spoke English and wasn't even regionally. So there's different regions and, and dialects. Like you walk, go around Canada, you, know, you go around anywhere in any big country, there's different dialects or different versions of a, you know, and so we might have an interpreter from one part of the country and then we're in this part of the country and they hate where he's from. Even if it's not Taliban, even if it's just the locals in this community and they can tell by his dialect that he's from X, Y, or Z, they're like, no. Yeah, piss off. Yeah. And it happened all the time. Or you just have a bad interpreter. I had some great interpreters too who are like, dude, this is what he's really saying. And, or he'd be like, look at his hands, get like mentoring me along. I'm like, look at his hands. Like, oh, you know, very clean hands for a farming community. You know, like these kinds of little. Yeah. You have to pick up on all the complexities. I always think of Ottawa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you bring that up, the, mm-hmm. look at the hands thing. Yeah. Everybody in Ottawa uh, in the early days was worried about government sticking whatever in their informants or, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can imagine. And it's like, well, like they weren't in there folks, like mm-hmm. guaranteed. Yeah. But there was this one that just. To this day, I can see him clear as day, okay? You have a group of people who've been on the highway, uh, some longer than others, but regardless, a group of people that have left from BC all the way across, all met up. They've been on the road. They've been riding by themselves. They've been been putting in long days, emotional days, Mm -hmm. right? Highs, lows. You've been driving through minus 30. It's dead of winter. People stand on the highway, you know, you, like the stress of that. Just, just Into think, the unknown too, because right. you don't know at right. the end. Yeah. So you get there and um, I would say most people weren't taking the best care of themselves. I don't mean that they were like, you know, uh, falling over tired or hammered drunk or anything. I just mean like five o'clock shadow is in full effect. Mm-hmm. Hair is not done. Some people haven't put deodorant on in a couple of days. Like you can just tell. Yeah. And then walk this guy wearing, playing the part playing the part 
but he's not Ed. Yeah. And to me, as soon as we locked eyes, because I went around, everybody was worried about, you know, all these things. So I just went around and introduced myself to everyone, especially when I thought this could be, they could be who they say, you know, and, and everybody turned out to be, have a great story. Maybe they, you know, maybe they were better actors than others for sure. But all, most of them, I'm just like, actually all of them. I was like, oh yeah, no, it's just John and John's from here and, you know, and that's why he's here and that's what he's doing and that's why he's dressed that way. That's why he's sitting there or whatever. And then there's the one who walks in and he looks, everything's so clean. Mm-hmm. The jacket's clean. Mm-hmm. He's clean shaven. Actually, it wasn't even clean shaven. It was like he had a beard, but it was like trimmed perfectly. Yep. I'm like, that doesn't look right. And as soon as we locked eyes, he walked out of the building. And I'm like, that's interesting, yep. right? When you talk about the pattern of life, pattern of life um, you don't need to go over to Afghanistan. If I, although on there, it would be on high alert. Yes. Yeah. Because obviously, like what you're talking about is life or death. Yeah. Right. And very few instances. Uh, but you know, it's funny. Um, in different communities, maybe all communities right now, we've been struggling with like pedophilia, right? And, yeah. And, and, and adults attacking children. And I don't think it's that rare anymore. I think it's pretty prevalent. Yeah. And the thing is, when you talk to the the different areas, lots of times they're like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, Eddie Murphy has the joke, right? Everybody's got that weird uncle, right? That creepy uncle, don't go around your Uncle Johnny, yeah. right? It's like, yes, we already intuitively know mm-hmm. when something's off. It's whether you trust it and act on it. People will, people will just to get along, will push that aside and be like, I don't want to cause a wave. I don't want to make a ripple. I don't want to be the guy that says something, right? I, I, I've been on ranges before, tra- you know, training to go overseas and some very complex, dangerous ranges. Like there's a lot going on and there's a big chance you're going to get hurt if things aren't, you know, and there's safety staff. You know, I've been safety staff on ranges. There's, you have a role trying to keep, you know, you have 200 dudes running around and vehicles going in, there's stuff going off. You're, you're trying to mimic a battle. It's a one-way range, but you're trying to mimic this. And in the briefing, you're always like, if you, as the lowest, youngest, newest private, see something, really see something, you stop, you yell, stop, 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 say something, stop the thing. It doesn't matter that you now stop this thing. You better say something because somebody could, and I've been on ranges where guys have died. It happens. Um, it's rare, thankfully. But it does happen. It's probably rare because you've got that uh, we have, implemented, right? But we we put it on the lowest of the low. The low. It's not just for the overall commander of this range to say, "Oh, this looks unsafe." He's not going to know. He's he's got twenty eight things going on in the, in ten seconds. It's the, the the young guy could be like, "I don't think they're supposed to be over there." You know, he's got to say something. You have to trust that his intuition is saying. You know, and that's, I think that's a big difference between what our military used to be. I mean, even in our leadership, um, we would trust our youngest, newest guys to have the initiative that if, you know, if I went down as the commander, the, the sergeant in my section, if I went down, then we used to joke two IC take over, like you've got to take over, you've got to step up. And that two IC in many instances in Afghanistan, once the boss went down, cause quite often it was. The boss, the, whoever was in that guy, it was tended to be that, went down. The next man up could be a 20-year-old kid, and he'd better sack up. So in training, you don't, this isn't, we're not talking boot camp here. We're talking like war training. 
you build these guys up, you'd better build them up. You better instill in them that initiative and that ability to lead on some level. So you have to draw that out of them or you just stop. And I've seen it and I don't want to pick on the Americans here because I do love Americans. I'm half American. Um, nothing but respect for their combat ability. I've fought beside a few different units, very aggressive, great guys. But on the individual level, level I would say that they're behind us as far as just getting after it once a boss goes down or in the absence of direct orders. We didn't wait for direct orders. We would be like, well, I can, we're in combat. I kind of got it. I kind of know what we're doing here. Let's just push it. And you'd keep in communication with your next boss and the two dudes beside you, you know, who are in charge of their thing. And you just keep rolling and pushing and pumping. And whereas I found with the Americans, they'd be like, well, this is as far as they told us to go, but this is it. And we're like, well, dude, there's more of them in this building. We better get them too. And they're like, nope, boss said, stay here. And you were kind of like, oh man, whereas the British are much more like us. They're like, let's get after it. Let's go. Let's it's, it's, it's always interesting. To, well, once again, to, certainly talking to yourself, but I've had now, uh, you know, I think of uh, when last time you were in, you had uh, Jamie Sinclair in with you. Yeah, yeah. I had, um, oh, why am I forgetting their names? Willie McDonald was Thank in. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, interesting to hear you guys rattle off. I mean, I, I, the different countries. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if I had in Wayne Gretzky, let's mm-hmm. say. He could talk about how the Germans play hockey. He yep. could talk about how, you know, um, the United States and, 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 and just banter the same. I got tons of respect. Yeah. But this is why they, they do what they do or whatever, right? Because we all have our our, oh, yeah. our strengths yeah. and our weaknesses. Yeah. And we do too. I mean. Justin w- Trudeau? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, a, that's a whole <laughs> other podcast or book or documentary. But um, it, 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 all, it all comes down to... A, especially with what I was just talking about, it comes down to development versus like, you want to take those youngest guys. James kind of touched on it when he was here and we were talking. He brought, I wasn't expecting, but he kind of brought up the relationship I had with my guys. And, um, you know, I, of course I've thought about it or known about it over the years. I did have a, you know, I wasn't the only one. There were other leaders that did too, had fantastic relationships with other guys, but it's a big responsibility. These are 20 year old kids. If something goes wrong over there and something happens to them, that's on me. You know? Well, and you've already said through this interview that something is going to go on. It's going to happen. It's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. You know, and a shout out to Jamie. I, that guy, he was supposed to, he's funny. He was supposed to be in here like two months ago. Yeah. Then he had a dentist appointment come up and now he hasn't been in since. So, uh, Jamie, I'm going on holidays, but when I get back, you should, uh, you should come on over. I'm yeah. just saying, throw out there. Oh, he's a beauty. There's, he's, uh, he's a one of a kind in a career of 20 plus years. He's a, there aren't no, there's no duplicates of him. You know, there's, there's uh he's a special breed. Yeah. He's a one of a kind soldier. And I've worked with a few in different ways that they're one of a kind. Willie Mack is another one. You had him on here. Great podcast with him. He's a. Uh, he, that podcast with Willie, he's talking about everybody being blown to hell. Mm-hmm. And everybody's looking at him. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if that isn't a great analogy for kind of where we're at in society, we're all looking to somebody to lead us out of this absolute 
shit show we're in. Yeah. Instead of it being one person, I might add, it takes many in this yes. case, not yeah. just one. Uh, <clears throat> I'd love to sit here and put all my faith in Pierre Polyev or, or whoever, whoever you want to throw down that. But uh, certainly I think it's more of a, a, a grassroots movement Agreed. that needs to happen than just yeah. one politician that's going to come riding yeah. in. Um, and saying that, that podcast, that's a... Uh, Man, there was a lot of meat on that. Every time I talk to any of you guys, there's a lot of meat because it's it's life experience. And I, I say this every time you guys come in. Like, I, I have access right now, folks, to, like, a group of military men in Canada that are such a small portion of the population. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, it's insane. Some of the guys I've had walk through and sit in this studio yeah. to do it, actually, you know. Like, uh, it's it's been... Well, I think of, you know, I get asked all the time, well, what are some of your favorite conversations? It's like, well, all of them. Um, but it all depends on what you're looking for, right? And there's a lot of meat on the bone when you talk to uh, veterans who've been across seas, not once, not twice. We're talking like six plus times, yeah. right? Like that's in, well, it hurts my brain a little bit actually is what it does. Well, when you when you do the math on that, like that's each tour is minimum six months. Usually in the later Afghan tours, we were doing it was eight months. You're talking years of your life in these places, away from family and friends. And I'm, lots of careers have time away from home. Sure. I get it. Typically not with people trying to blow you up and kill you, but it's not just the time away from home factor. It's then you have six months of workup training where you're basically gone from home before the tour, you know, um, gelling as a team and learning all the skills you need and lessons learned in that. And um, But listening to the Willie Mack interview, like, I talked about how that American had no, you know, ego and hubris. Don't get me wrong. We have egos. We all do. We all do. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that at all, but it's that he's so, he's just a dude, you know, like he's a legend to me and I worked with the guy. He's a friend of mine. He's, but to me, I'm like. And I'm forgetting, you know, I should know this. What was, what was Willie's buddy that came with him? Do you remember? Can you remember? Uh, Corbett, uh, Adam Corbett. Yeah. He's sitting here in the studio and I'm yeah. like, it, we start and then they're talking and I'm like, do you just want to hop on? No, oh, no, no, I'm good. I'm like, no, you, you might as well just hop. No, 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 I'm good. And finally we convince him and yeah. then they both go and I'm like, how is I going to let that guy sit and just listen? And we'll, I mean, like this is, I think it, it just added a whole nother dimension. It does, and, and, it does, yeah. And the, the two of them were, well, I mean. Well, they've been great friends forever, forever and ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, such a wealth of, of, of experience. I want to go back to this this. This interpreter, you mm-hmm. know, tr- mm-hmm. I'm not here to translate. I'm here to interpret. And I, I think, you know, when I think of that, I think of uh, the first time I read like Jordan Peterson, heard him talk. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched my wife do it. And we took, went to Rogers and we, we went and saw Jordan Peterson there. She'd never seen him before and she hasn't read his books. And she's maybe listened a little bit of it because I listened to a lot of it. But mm-hmm. overall, she hasn't, you know, gone down. So like, as much as I'm like, oh, this is going to be a painful night for her, because like Jordan Peterson, when he gets rolling, if you don't understand the language. Yeah. And I'll lose people. He will lose yeah. immediately. Yeah. Cause yeah. It's, and I just remember my first time, but I almost wish I could go back to my first time too, because when he starts talking, he's starting to make sense of things that you didn't understand. Yeah. And when I think back to the reason I talk about the, the translation or the interpreter, it's like, well, if you don't understand the words or you're, translator doesn't understand it doesn't have the same meaning of the word being tra- it can lose all relevance and that's that actually makes a ton of sense to me yep like in our everyday lives we can do that you know like we've lost a lot of words that you know like we just 
push off like the meaning isn't there. But you bring it all the way back to like Jordan Peterson or I'm reading the Bible right now. Mm -hmm. And I find when I start reading some of the scriptures, like what the heck does that even mean? And then you dig down on a word, which doesn't take that much, especially with the good old Google. And also you're like, oh, oh, that actually makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. And yet it's been interpreted or translated, I should say. From Greek, right? Yeah. So it's come across into it. And so you're like, hmm, I wonder how much has been lost just in that. Obviously a little bit, mm -hmm. even if it's just word, you know, but a word can really change a sentence, right? Yeah. We've seen this time and time again. So I I find that really, you know, when you're talking life and death, when you're talking, I don't know what you're, you know, interrogating everyone for, but certainly to find out where the bad guy is, I assume. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to put trust in something that you can see that, there's going to be pitfalls in that's, that's difficult. Well, the first time I really, I mean, I used interpreters, me or my, my platoon commander, mostly if it wasn't a, uh, if it was just a normal meeting with a village, you know, on our patrol route or, you know, we weren't fighting 24 seven there all the time. We yeah. had normal days too. Well, a normal day there is not normal, but, um, if he was just doing a village shura, like a meeting with an elder, you know, I'd be in close proximity to an interior protection, like close protection, but he'd be using the interpreter to talk to the elders about where do you want your well? Where do you want this? This bullshit. And, um, cause it was all bullshit, but it, that was very info. That was very easy. You know, the interpreter just says he wants a well here or no, we're good. We don't want a well. Cause if we put a well in now, the Taliban are going to focus on sure. them. These kinds of things. And so that was simple. My first time using an interpreter for a big reason was the day Trevor Green took an ax in the head at one of these meetings. Um, we may have talked about this before on or off. I can't remember if it was on or off camera, but that was a rough day. Like Trevor Green took an ax in the head. He's still alive. He's in, yeah, down. I think he's in Okotoks. Um, he's recovered as much as you can from that. Like, I mean, as far as his speech abilities and mobility and stuff, but, um, I very quickly after, so the guy who did the axing was killed on scene, but there were other players in the crowd and one of them was definitely not a good guy. So that was my first experience using an interpreter for literally a life or death moment. And it was high. It was probably the most stressed I'd ever been in my life. You know, it was unbelievably stressful. Like people's lives literally m are going to hinge on whether we get the right information, the proper, like all these things are happening. And in the meantime, there's like, dude has just been medevaced out with an ax in his head, like two and a half, three inches. I should Oh laugh. no, it's, it, it, believe me, we do too. Um, it's just, these things are happening and I'm trying to, in my own head, I haven't even made sense of that moment yet. And I'm now using this interpreter who thankfully at this point, cause they, we, they rotated, right? So this particular interpreter was very good. He was, he, he knew, he knew his business. So that was a great relationship to have with him. Um, yeah, yeah, that was, that was something else. Do you think, uh, you know, when you talk about interpreting things and, and the pattern of life, right? Mm -hmm. When it comes to our news and certainly let's go even bigger, mm -hmm. Russia, Ukraine right now, oh, right? Yeah, you yeah. pay, you pay closer yeah. attention to it, in my opinion, than most. Mm -hmm. 
um, you have a background where, you know, it certainly lends to paying attention to that, right? Yes. Like, yeah. uh, you know, if I was going to pay attention to, well, I, I, I tell you what, what, what I'm, what I'm, um, what I can do is watch like the NHL playoffs and see what's going on there and understand because mm-hmm. you've, you've been in, in that world for so long, right? Yeah. That you're kind of like, you kind of get it. Some of it, you don't, some of it, you know, certainly is beyond your, your knowledge maybe. Um, but when it comes to like interpreting what's being pushed on us, yeah, you know, like I just, I just read this story again about the, the Lusitania. Mm-hmm. And for the listener, the Lusitania was was the passenger ship smuggling arms to Britain uh, during World War One from the U.S. Right, yep. and and German Germans know this is happening. Take out a news article in, I forget what paper it is, but literally put it in the paper. Yeah, and say, hey, we know this is happening. Please don't do this, or we're forced to. You know, like yeah. they're bringing in arms <clears throat> to their enemy. Right. Yeah. And, of course, the Lusitania goes in, gets blown up, draws the Americans into the war. They deny there was ever any arms on it, blah, 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 blah. You go back to 2008, divers went down, found all the ammunition. Like, it's it's just plain as day. It's there, yeah. The reason the U.S. gets involved in the war is because they put civilians in the pathway of war. Trying, yeah. Anyways, you, you get the point. And so right now I'm watching Russia, Ukraine, and I'm going like, so they did it with World War One, World War Two. There's a lot of play to be made that Pearl Harbor was allowed to happen. Like that's not really that's not an Alex Jones conspiracy theory. There's a lot of we're just not going to look as closely as we should be. We know it's going to happen. We're not going to listen to the one analyst who's saying it's happening. It's about to happen. Well, I mean, what is what is what is history shown us? And even even now with with uh, COVID and everything, right? They don't, you know. Oh, we're not going to listen to John. John's a worry work. That's that's the that's the um, almost practical side of me. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, don't listen to that guy, right? Yeah. The the nefarious part is is like when you go through the wars, especially the United States has been in, and probably this goes longer back than oh, yeah. the United States for yeah. sure it does. But like it's like mm, to right off Pearl Harbor. The only reason my body wants to like revolt against that is because of all the movies and history classes and everything else that I've went through where it's like, no, that can't be true. Can't right? be true. Can't be true. Except, you know, now I've been through a bunch of things. You start and you're like, man, that's a tough thought. It doesn't mean that we didn't go fight. Of course we went. Of fought. Course, yeah. And that makes the lie more Well, I mean, we, impactful. we Canadians were already fighting. We, we joined in 39. Like we, we did our own thing. Canada was fighting. It's always funny we talk about Americans in war. They usually show up about three. They used to show up three years late um, to the war and then win it or claim to have won it. Like World War One, they didn't really put boots on the ground till with about a year to go. Um, World War Two, they entered in what Pearl Harbor was December seventh of forty one. So I mean, they kind of joined partway through the war, and thank God they did. But they kind of let themselves be joined into the war. And nowadays, Americans are kind of like, what do we need to do to start a war kind of thing? Well, it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's interesting, right? Yeah. Because, uh, like, what's scary about it is knowing the Lusitania story. Mm-hmm. What's scary about it is understanding there's a lot of people that believe exactly what you're saying about Pearl Harbor. And then you just go on the list, well, right? Well, you look at Nord Stream. That happened about eight, what, eight months ago. And uh, why would Russia blow up their own pipeline? This, you know, they did the, the pipeline. Well, well, it's not their pipeline. For the, the listener, pipeline. for the listener, I had, uh, where am I at there? There, This is a, a Tom Luongo uh-huh. uh, cup when he came to Lloyd and him and Alex Craner talked about um, Russia, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Luongo and Alex 
Craner were on here talking about Nord Stream mm-hmm. forever before, you know, I don't know if it was a week after it happened, two weeks, but at the end of the day, they were like, this isn't the Russians, folks. Like, and you go, what's terrifying about it is, is we seem hell bent on getting to war. And, you know, I come back to, maybe this will be solved when I, when I, when I, uh, talk to, uh, Marty and certainly mm-hmm. the this is where it gets kind of like wait invert, his, inverted yeah. because once again uh, these are some of the things I'm going to have but mm-hmm. uh, war war allows them to do a lot of things and we all know right now yeah. there's a lot of issues going on yeah I mean just on the money side alone oh yeah the, the amount of the money, laundering yeah money printing money everything the currency all that stuff you're like war you get to like wipe the slate clean almost a little bit, right? 100%. So, but the only way they get to go to war in my, I think, maybe I'm wrong on this, right? Maybe you can, maybe you can. So dis- Article 5, because it's NATO. So Article 5 basically means. we If if NATO's attacked, we all go to war. And there's a few workarounds for Article 5. That's why it's a big deal for Russia. So what, so what happens if, let, let's just mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. let's just say. Actually, you know what? Finish Article 5. Finish it for the people. So essentially it means that they will, NATO will invoke Article 5 if a NATO member is attacked, which is why, you know, they keep dancing that carrot in front of Ukraine saying, once this war is over, you are going to let you into, into NATO. NATO. They, they never will. They never will. It's a rotten thing they're doing to Ukraine. And just for the listener, I'm not pro-Russia. I'm not, I'm, but I'm also not pro-Ukraine. Um, and I'm not anti-war. I'm a big, you know, not that I'm a fan of war, but war is not going anywhere. It's going to be around forever. But if you're going to fight a war, you better fight it to win it. And right now we're not in it to win it as NATO. We are, we are mishandling this. We should be negotiating our way out because the Western think tanks and the Western NATO people think that NATO will just stand up and win this war if it has to happen. And I'll get into that in a second, like why I believe we might go into an Article 5. But we aren't. We've drained our cupboards of big munitions. Our artillery munitions for the 155 pieces is all but gone. The heavy equipment, all but gone. And I'm talking main battle tanks. The Leopards are not holding up on the field over there. And I'm not saying that they're not a great tank because they are a decent tank but we're not deploying them in the right numbers. We gave them like a hundred, you know, um, hundreds not going to make a difference. People seem to think that we will win a war of attrition with Russia. And these people have no clue about Russian history. One in eight Russians died in world war two, one in eight, not soldiers, people. When you think about that mentality and believe me, you can hate Putin. People can hate Putin. He's, he's, he's a villain. His people tend to like that he's, he, he backs them. He has their interests at heart. Um, you might think that they'd glob up and, you know, have a coup on him. That's what the West keeps thinking. There'll be a coup. Well, Prishgorin, the, the, the Wagner leader, he, tr- he tried this. He's now that guy's a nut job, but he tried it. He got about 8,000 of his roughly 65,000 man army to follow him. Uh, I, I still firmly believe in watching a lot of telegram stuff that a lot of the troops just thought they were being deployed for whatever reason. They didn't really think that they were involved in a coup. And that's generally how coups start. Watch the movie Valkyrie and you'll understand the coup against Hitler, how most of those soldiers had no idea they were actually going in an anti-Hitler movement. They're just being deployed. It's just like everything else, following orders. Following orders. And that's, you know, as long as it's a benign order, you're going to follow it until it becomes not a benign order. But anyway, you know, Putin isn't going anywhere. The West can hope, 
and I call it, it's either called copium or hopium. You can hopium yourself into hoping these things. That's not a strategy, not when there's a war going on. You can call it an illegal war to make yourself feel better. Find me one legal war in history. Like there's, you know, stop calling it, war is illegal. It's not good. It's bad, but it's a tool and people are not going to stop using it. So where we're at right now with this is the West isn't going to win a stand up fight. We have been drained of heavy equipment. I was part of NATO in Afghanistan and I can tell you that of all the countries that deployed there, only the British, the Canadians and the Americans left the wire to fight actively. The rest of them sat on the big camps, drinking green bean coffee and shopping on the boardwalk. And it's going to sound a little harsh if you're some guy who served in some other army over there and well, I did my time. That's that I don't give a shit. You know, I don't care. You weren't in, you didn't go out in the boonies and fight it out every day. You sat on the boardwalk watching the other Canadians play hockey here and there. Like that's, you know, I'm sorry that you sometimes the ice cream was a little melty, but that's the extent of it. So when you talk about standing these guys up and I, and I'll bring the Canadians into this mix now too, cause we don't have the military. We did. We are not on a war footing. We. North America isn't on a war footing. Is no, it? the Americans could muster some stuff up. They st- they're in a mess too. Don't get me wrong with all the stuff that's going on, but they could pull some stuff together, but is it enough to take on the Russians face to face? No, Russia hasn't even mobilized fully. People keep talking about the two narratives. You see it on Twitter all the time. Russia is down to conscripts and shovels. That's all they have left. Well, then you should be winning, but they're not. This counteroffensive that's a month old hasn't breached the gray zone like this, you know, depending on where they are, like 10 kilometers of like no man's land, like no man's land in world war one was like across this room. World war two, it could be a tactical distance of a, you know, 500 meters or a kilometer or a hundred meters. In this war, because of the weapon systems and the way things work, it's, it can be a couple hundred meters. It could be a couple kilometers, 10 kilometers. It depends on where they are and what the features are. The, the, this offense counteroffensive was the worst planned, worst telegraphed, worst thought of thing. They, they should have negotiated themselves out. You're not going to get those three regions back. Russia's not going anywhere. They've dug in. You might take a village or two. And right now those are big wins on Twitter. Like, oh, we took this. Well, by the afternoon, the Russians take it back. Like this isn't a win. You are sacrificing human lives, human lives for a few feet. Russia is evil. Russia is bad. All those things are true, but they're not going anywhere. So you're not, I think it was Winston Churchill and I could be wrong. He said, you don't negotiate peace with your friends. You negotiate with your enemies. I I could be wrong on who said that. But people need to understand that they can still be our enemy. You better start negotiating because what's going to happen, and you've seen the media playing this out and Zelensky playing it out in this last two weeks, and this is an important timeline because July 11th in a few days is the NATO summit. Now, Ukraine has to take the report card and say, all the stuff you've given us, all the equipment, all the money, this is what you've bought. You're going to your investor group, basically. You're going to your Patreon people and saying, this is the product you bought. They have nothing to show for it. There, there's, the counteroffensive is going horribly. You can paint whatever, however you want on that. It's not going well. That's in a couple of days. So what's their other option? Well, they keep bringing up the uh, NPP nuclear power plant. Um, I can't pronounce the real name of it, but it's this very prominent nuclear power plant. 
Yeah, yeah. they've been talking about it a lot. Oh, a lot. And how there's explosives on it and how there's they've, the Russians are doing this to it. Well, the, is it the International Atomic Energy Agency? I can't, I might have. Yeah, the, the Zypor. Yeah. Zia. I like, I can't even, I can't, can't even get close to planning or, uh, no, me either. Zapper. I Z. Yeah. Anyways, anyways, that's the, the that's nuclear. The power, yeah, yeah. Nuclear power. Chernobyl power. too, basically here. So they keep bringing this up that the Russians are going to blow this thing. And the Russians are like, we aren't, why would we, we own it. You're even if they were going to lose. Yeah, the so plant. this is, this is a Tom Luongo thing. Read yes. the news and take a step back and go, why are they telling me this? Yes. Right. Because if you can figure that out, maybe you can start to figure out some of the game. Mm-hmm. Right? If it was if it was truly this big of a shadow game, we wouldn't know about it. But instead, the public is being told about. Why are they doing that? Because they're priming us for what? The false flag. And this false flag then buys NATO the excuse to declare an Article 5 and go a full tilt war. Folks, you can... I'm pro-West. I'm just, to be clear, I'm, you know, West should win. But I'm also a realist because I've been in combat. And and hope isn't a strategy or tactic. It's not a battle plan. It gets people killed. You need to have concrete, real methods, tactics, equipment, strategies, people in key leadership positions who know how to fight and will fight. And as much as you need all that, you need the kit, the equipment, and the ammunition. And I'll tell you right now, we don't have any of it. We are, and we, I mean the West, we are, the cupboard is running bare, like really bare. Russia has just upped their production of everything. Like they weren't even at a full-time wartime production level for their, their heavy vehicles. They're producing... Yeah, they might be losing tanks. Well, not. Putin, once again, this is the whole point of going back and forth. Both sides get to play. Yeah, well, yeah. And whether you're pro-Putin or not, like, they're, they're, he's, he sees what's happening with mm-hmm. the West. He's not a moron going, they won't do this. If you've watched anything, mm-hmm. the Nord Stream, the dam, the bridge, everything, it's just like it consistently is escalating mm-hmm. to where he he's probably looking at, like, there's I don't know if there's any way out of this. He keeps... I, I don't know enough about... I, I lived in Finland for a short, brief period. Mm-hmm. And I heard the stories of uh, Finland and Russia back in the day and, and some of the things and some of the wars fought there and and on and on and on. And, and so you had a, a bit of a, a boogeyman mentality, if you would, about 100%. Russia. 100%. They, they're a great Hollywood villain for us in the military. They were our... our uh, I don't want to say heritage enemy, but our inherited enemy, basically. Our Cold War enemy, our... Everything I did in my early days of training was like, this is how we're going to beat the Russians. This is their kit. This is their this. This is their... So that was my early days, you know. Um, but it was that was generationally. That was like, we're going to fight the Russians at some point. And maybe we will. But I'll tell you right now, we're not going to win. I, I, we, we might come to a draw. I'm not saying Putin's going to be opening up uh, pierogi stands here in Alberta or something. I'm just saying, we're not going to kick them out of Ukraine. We're going to have to negotiate that. Well, and the thing is, is I don't, I don't know about you, Chuck, but like in order to go to like, so they, they, maybe I'm wrong on this. So they, mm-hmm. they do an article five, right? Mm-hmm. So now all NATO is going to war, mm-hmm. but Canada doesn't want to go to war. I don't know if, I don't know if half these countries in NATO, maybe three quarters of them, I don't feel like want to go to war. No, I could be wrong on they that. They don't. So it's great. They do an article five. We're all going to war. 
But if Canadians don't want to go, what are they going to do? Well, you'll have the situation like we had in Afghanistan. NATO signed off on this. NATO, it was, we changed from Operation Enduring Freedom in August 3rd of 2006 to a NATO-led coalition. Well, the coalition was there. They didn't fight. They showed up. They just put some, you know, I'll put 100 men on this, the big base, and they can eat ice cream, and we'll put 50. There were some countries that had like eight guys there. So then it just becomes a money laundering thing where they push a ton of money into it because we got soldiers there and our boys are there, but at the end of the day, they're not doing anything. And it's but the difference is this is on their doorstep. Afghanistan is, yeah, it's over there. It's it's easy to forget. It's In fact, it's the perfect money laundering. 80% of the world's opium comes out of there. Perfect little place to mon- launder money. And that's why Ukraine's been so vital to these people too, because it's been like the hub of money laundering for a long time. You can watch the Oliver Stone documentaries on Rumble. He he breaks it down very well. Um, you talked about Finland a second ago. So Finland just joined NATO, like recently, really like in the like last Like really few, recently. Last couple months. Everybody in NATO, the big think tank heads, the, the talking heads on TV have been saying, well, the reason that Russia doesn't want invaded Ukraine is they don't want them in NATO. No, 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 no. Although that is part of it. NATO keeps moving their doorstep. The, Russia doesn't hasn't invaded Finland, have they? Like, they don't care about Finland. Finland hasn't been overly... They've got their own weird history. Like, you go back to World War II and pre-World War II. They have a very unique, weird history, and it's back and forth. I'm not going to get into all that. The board shit out of people. But, um, <laughs> but Russia didn't roll... T-90 tanks over the border with Finland because they joined NATO? No. But Ukraine is a special beast, and it's a special beast because of the Donbass region, which has been in contention since 2014. And Yeah, it's been building, right? It, like it's what? been building. There's been a war, an ongoing war there since 2014. Most of the world isn't aware of it or hasn't paid attention to it, but it's been a bad slog there for a long time. And finally Putin said... Well, I'm going to handle it. You can hate them. And it's fair to hate them. It's fair not to like Russians because they're, they're in Hollywood and they're bad. And, you know, you're going to change your opinion on hunting for Red October now because Sean Connery played a Russian or I think he was actually Belarusian, but whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, you get my point. It's a bad Russian subcommander. You know, these things are all evil now. I mean, look at Ovechkin in hockey. They're talking about, are you kidding me? Like, well, like, I, I, know, I know this when, when, uh, I was told by people within that organization that when it was all happening, they were told they weren't supposed to talk about Vashkin. Yep. Just not supposed to yep. talk. And I'm like, like he's not. A, you you realize he's he's closing in on Gretzky's record. Yeah. His great story, and just because of his background, let's eliminate it from TV. Uh, it's 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 wild. You know, it's wild. It, it's it's. Um, I think of George Orwell. You know, I, mm. I don't know how much this book has been talked about over the course of the last three years for mm-hmm. sure, but I'm sure 10 years ago there was a group of people talking about it mm-hmm. and before that and before that. And, you know, I just come out, Oceania has always been at war with East Asia since the beginning of your life, since the beginning of the party, since the beginning of history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> history, well, it carries on. The war has continued without break, always the same war. You know, it's like Orwell has some very prophetic things oh, that yeah. were probably, you know, like... I was, I was saying this and, and curious your thoughts. I was talking about this with a buddy and he said, oh yeah, it's, it's pretty prophetic with how he could see into the future. And I'm like, I don't think he was talking about the future. I think he was talking about his life, mm-hmm. how we're always at war. And because I mean, just listen to the story we talked at the start, Lusitania happens in his life. 
and brings everybody in and all the carnage that comes and everything yep. else. And what, you know, and then it's only a short time after that to get World War II. Mm-hmm. And it's all these things all over again, right? Well, you, you had uh, David and Drew on. That was a great podcast. I loved listening to them too. But they, they kind of said the same thing. Like, it's just a matter of looking at recent, your own recent history or what you're living through and applying that forward. It's all you're doing is you're trying to pattern that forward. And I think one of the great things that uh, Jordan Peterson does is, and he's a brilliant man. I'm not trying, I won't, I'm not ever trying to take away from that. He's able to pick patterns of life out clearly. It's like he sees it through the matrix or something. So when he says something like make your bed, I've read, you know, I read that book too, and I've listened to him speak a billion times and stuff and not, not, I haven't seen him live, but I've, you know. You didn't go see him live? I, I didn't have a chance to, no. But to, to see, to, to, he's saying the simplest thing sometimes in a very Jordan Peterson way, but he says it and you're like, that makes sense. Like it's when I talk about that, that, uh, first sergeant saying ounces make pounds. Well, no shit idiot. Of course they make, wait, oh, that's what he's saying to me. He's like. And where does he, and where does he, so I would say two things to that, which I've started to learn. Mm. One is, um, how do I want to say one is, I was going to say like, where does he get the, 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 like where he says one line and has so much weight to it. And what I found out, he quotes the Bible all the time. Mm-hmm. It's yep. literally from the Bible. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not saying he's plagiarizing. No, no, no. He's, he's taking something that's very complex and putting it in a way so that a guy like me could understand it. It was a very timely, timely, like I couldn't believe it when I saw him for the first time and he started to, and it, my brain was blown and I'm like, I can't understand what half of he's saying, but I kind of get it and I want to learn more and it, it drew me in. The second thing I would say with you not uh, seeing him in person yet is I feel for anyone at this point who hadn't seen him in person, um, what is that, five years ago now? Mm-hmm. I think that's five years ago now. And I'm sure, I know I have friends who saw him before that, but we saw him in, uh, the book club saw him in Edmonton in like a, you know, in a banquet room of a hotel. It was very... Inform- no, nothing yeah. fancy yeah paid tickets and everything but like very informal and he got up on stage uh he'd written his book but now when you see him live he'll he'll try and talk to different chapters it's almost scripted i dislike it yeah um i like when he gets when he's talking about something that he's working on because what's fascinating about jordan peterson is that he can work through a problem talking about it in front of you and oh trying yeah to like I'm just trying, and he'll and he apologizes in his lecture series. He does this all the time. I mean, I'm just trying to think about this, and now I'm formulating my thoughts, and and on it goes. And so the first time we saw him, he lectured for about an hour and 25 minutes, and then took questions at the end, and it was phenomenal. It was not polished. It was not. He was not in some like you know thousand dollar suit. Not that there's anything wrong no, with no. that. Yeah, yeah. It's just that the feel was wow. This is something. And now the last time I saw him in Rogers Place, you know, like. There was some like surreal spots. He had this. Uh, I, I wish I could. Somebody who was at the show, can you please text me what the musician's name was at the start? He had a guy get up by himself and just play a whole bunch of mm-hmm. music right at the start. Super cool. He had Rex Murphy open. Super cool. He had his wife open. Super cool. I thought his hour long uh, talk about his book. I've been there, done that. I was in whatever. The best part was him and his wife doing Q and A at the end. He danced on stage. It was it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's like. That's Jordan Peterson I like. The rest of it, take it, throw it out the door yeah. for me. But I've already seen him three times yeah. live. And for me, I was I was kind of monitoring my wife because I'm like, this is something. Like, she's a, she's in for something here. Anyways, I feel for you because uh, 
the early Jordan Peterson, I always talk about the origin story of like, you know, your first time on the podcast, maybe uh, my first podcast, my first yeah. event, your first whatever. Although it's like uncomfortable, the nerves are there. You don't know what the heck to expect. Things go wrong. Things go right. Those are beautiful moments because oh, yeah. it's, it's so new. And Jordan Peterson in 2018 was so freaking new to me. And now, you know, how far it's come. Anyways, that's Well, you my, said that's it at the thoughts. beginning, the timeliness of this guy, right? Like, I think a lot of world moments, when you look back on them, there will be, well, that was a timely thing that happened there. That was a, that guy or that person, that event, that company, that was it's almost providence or fate that it was happened this way. And I believe, or, or, or do you think, or do you think that society was finally being pushed enough that they were ready to listen? Well, you talked about it with, uh, Drew and Dave, one of them brought it up and I don't remember which, um, very bright guys. I loved listening to them and you guys had a great conversation, but one of them said, um, something to the effect of how politicians are usually, or used to be a reflection of culture. And, and now they're trying to tweak culture, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to send the message downstream to culture and, and form this hive mind kind of thing. And I'm paraphrasing what they've said, but it used to be that culture would send it back, you know, send it like, this is what we want from our politician. This is what we expect. So when you come home and we have to decide in four years, if we're voting for you again, you get a yes or a no, but now you, you're the messaging going through the media. It's all, it's the translation, right? Like it's all they're the, you're the translator and the politician are basically in the same bucket together. And it's us downstream that are, unless you're super mentally strong, like COVID's a great example, unless you were super mentally strong, you're going you're to swallow it up. You were swallowed it. up by it. So we, you have someone like Peterson, and I agree 100%, watching him think through a problem in real time, which might irritate people who just want a soundbite, real quick soundbite. From someone like me to see him deconstruct and then rebuild a thing in his own head, in I don't care if he takes two minutes to sit there, you can see wheels turning in this man's head. And when he speaks, like, I don't often get a catch in my throat listening to someone, but that guy, when he speaks with passion, forget yeah. about it. Like he means it and believes it. And I'm, and you can disagree or, or agree with the guy. Uh, for the most part, I agree with what he, you know, he's not left or right. He's just a realist, you know, he's. So the, the podcast you keep referencing with Drew Weatherhead and David Parker is episode 457 folks. That was just on June 29th mm-hmm. for anyone wondering when that happened. And yeah, when you talk well, I mean, when you think about Peterson, uh, his ability, like he worked with people a ton, right? Mm-hmm. He comes from the line of Jung and Freud and that, yep. and that background. And uh, so he probably, well, I mean, I'm sure he talks about this in the book and in, in things. You start to see trends, you spat, uh, spot patterns yep. in, uh, in, in people. And when you come all the way full circle to our politicians and what Drew and, and uh, uh, David were talking about, is we have a real issue in Canada in that media used to hold politicians accountable. Yes. So when you say they're creating culture, it's 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 this weird thing that I'm watching. At least this is just me, folks. Instead of the politician doing something dumb and them attacking him, now we're starting to see a bit more of it, but that's almost like the winds are changing and the media kind of sees and they're and, and, it, and that's me. Maybe I'm wrong. 
but they're in cahoots now because you have one media mm -hmm. and i know we have ctv and cbc and global but it's they're all, the, they're all the same media, it's yeah. all same they're all funded by the government mm -hmm. you can love or hate it but they are yep and that is going to be like well am i going to bite the hand that feeds or not yep and so now you have bill c11 now you have bill c18 you got all these things playing out against us little independents such as sean newman and others yep. drew weatherhead's one of them mm -hmm. right david parker's another and on and on it goes you know like you got people screaming at the top of their lungs that we got serious problems and sometimes I think the politicians are just everyday people who have their list of experts that are being informed by the experts of mainstream media and mm -hmm. mainstream media isn't pushing back, which isn't forcing. So everybody thinks they got it right, except all of us, all of us like regular folk are like, what the hell are we doing? Mm -hmm. I just can't, like there just must be so much, there must be so much pressure on politicians and maybe I'm letting them off slightly. That if they stick their head up too far, they're out. Yep. And there isn't a media to push to make it culturally acceptable to stick your head out because they'll go to bat for you. Well, and this will bring up the PPC angle of it all. Is that the, the, the hero worship they put behind Bernier will be that he's always saying the right thing for us. He's always, you know, he's the first guy to say this and that, and he's the first guy to do, stand up for us. And why isn't Paul Olivier doing this? And what, you know, you're just voting for the WF globalists and that. And you've seen it on Twitter. This is like their, their meat is this, this whole bit of it. And look, I get it, but you know what? Bernier can say anything because he's at no risk. We just saw it a month ago when his, his that, when he when he lost, lost horribly. horribly. They yeah. parachute him into a place yeah. thinking that they've done all their their work, their groundwork. Like we have found a place where this guy could possibly win, and he doesn't even come close. Doesn't even like register on the Richter scale, dude. Like he's he's yeah. a, he's an afterthought, and. It, it is an afterthought it's, at this he's, point. He's, he's, I think they're pulling at 2%, but they're the loudest thing you'll see on Twitter. And they don't attack Trudeau. The one, they the, attack conservatives. The one thing I do, um, the one thing that I think uh, is difficult in our country when it comes to Bernier, the last federal election, I believe, now don't quote me on this, maybe it's the same, but I want to say it was higher than the Green Party. He was polling at the same, but I want to say higher than the Green Party. It wasn't much. I'm, we're talking percents, right? Mm -hmm. Low percents. Like, I don't know. I can't remember if the Green Party was 3% and he was, I could probably look this up. But I mean, at the end of the day, they didn't have him on the national debate. And I yeah. went, and I, as, as a Canadian citizen, I look at that and I go, okay, we got the Green Party. They're never going to win. No. And if you're, if you're, if you're, if your um, criteria is they got to be past a certain percentage to get on the national debate. I agree. Fair enough. Yeah. We had Quebec on there. Yeah. He literally says in the debate, I don't want to be prime minister anyways. Well, shouldn't the criteria for the, the national debate for the prime minister be you want to be the prime minister? Get them the heck out of there. It makes it makes our entire government look oh, like a it's, mockery. It's, it is an, it's an idiotic like, thing. In, in saying that, I applaud Quebec because if Alberta could have Danielle Smith set up there and, and, and talk to some questions, I think we'd all appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And so you go, there's lessons to be learned here. But overall, it's like, he doesn't want to be there. The Green Party's an afterthought, beyond an afterthought. It's like, it's almost just something you don't even want to see up there. They can't yeah. even talk to all of it. They don't even have a, a platform that speaks to all the issues. So if you're not going to, you might as well put it down to the two-party system. Yeah. Or when an upstart 
and this is where the machine gets involved, like the PPC was close. They, they, they were certainly at that point in time. And you can understand probably Bernier's frustration. 100%, dude. That he yeah. should have been on the stage. And it would have, I tell you what, they, but once again, like th this is me trying to rationalize this out. Like we want a healthy country. Yeah. Like we want to actually have a debate when the debates aren't happening, when we got one media and, and, you know, and don't get me wrong. I was actually, Chris Sims was just talking about this, mm -hmm. that there's different networks starting up that are conservative minded and everything else. It's like, oh, then we need to help support that. Because yeah. if we want things to change in this country, then we have to get behind the yeah. things that are actually trying to open it up. And certainly I'm talking about the podcast, but I'm certainly talking about a whole bunch of yeah. other people that are doing the same thing. Well, it, yeah, I'm, I'm not a PPC guy by any stretch. I mean, when they first came out, it was kind of, they're a new thing. They kind of, they're speaking to what I want to hear. Um, they're speaking to what a lot of conservatives want to hear. But they've misplayed the ball. You can't insult people into joining you. It just, that's their strategy. We will make shitty memes, insult insult the conservative base into telling them they're too stupid to understand why they're voting conservative, but please come support us. Like, that's not going to work. It just isn't, it's not going to work. It's not a serious party anymore. It had a moment where it could have been. Ha it had a moment at the last election where it was relative, you know, yeah, but honestly. The, but their brain trust is draining out of it. The people, some of the people who founded it have walked away from it, knowing that Bernier is just now in it for his own good. Uh, I do agree. He should have been on the main stage for a debate. Like he, he, he apparently, he did poll high enough. I don't remember what the number was, but he did make it high enough as I recall. And if you're going to allow the block on there who, or, you know, who are a provincial party that runs. 5.1% is yeah. what they were. Well, there you go. They, they, sh I, in my opinion, they should have been as well. They're not going to go. And, and, and the thing about that is, uh, one of the things I think is crazy about that mm -hmm. is how little, coverage he gets right oh yeah so, so he pulled five percent going on things like like this you know mm -hmm. and I, I'm, I'm being a little bit mm -hmm. tongue-in-cheek about my show but i mean he wasn't given in my opinion it's not like he was given the main stage he wasn't no. even allowed to debate for no. pete's sake and he still garnered five percent like that's, that's pretty crazy I, and i give them credit for that they, they were able to master in the beginning a grassroots movement you know there's a lot of disgruntled conservatives who are like where are we going are you kidding me andrew Shear? O'Toole, even worse. I give PPC the credit that they have brought conservatives back a bit from the brink of just being another liberal party. They'll they'll disagree with that and say that that's not the case. But I do think that having this PPC mirror to look into, you're like, people better smarten up. But when we have a bad leader in the conservative party, we fire them. We, we vote them out. You know, we hold a leadership convention and say, you're gone now. Who's next? 2IC take over. Whereas with them, this guy can't get nothing right. And they're just going to hold on to him forever. Like, he's padding his pension at this point. It's, but you can't make them see that. Like, is there even another contender in the PPC that could step in and say, let me have a shot? No, they don't allow that. Yeah, well, that's control, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that's... You know, when when I get thinking about the different, uh, like the, you want to make it out to be so nefarious, the political system, which mm -hmm. at times it certainly can be. Mm -hmm. um, but I just I, I just think of like, bring it back to something I can kind of understand, the NHL and the WHA, right? It's like, well, the NHL eventually wins. Mm -hmm. All the teams come across. Yeah. They play to their system. Um, 
now NHL teams want in. You know, like, would Hamilton be a great spot for an NHL team? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think it'd be fine. I think they could survive with Toronto right there. I don't think they'd have an issue. Toronto doesn't want it. You think Toronto's get or Hamilton's getting an NHL team? Probably not. Yeah. Would Quebec City be a great spot to put one back into? Probably. Yeah. Do people want to play and go into Quebec? Do they want a second team there for whatever reason? I don't know. Does Arizona make any sense having a team anymore? No. Do they want it to be out there? Yes. That's why it stayed as long as it has. Yep. Will it eventually move? I think most of us agree it will. Why they've held on this long is is beyond me. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, and that's something I understand. That's the politics of hockey. Yeah. When you get to like the politics of of uh, running a country, man, it gets murky fast. Oh yeah. And I'm sure the NHL is very murky as well. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it's just this is a world that I I didn't understand. You know, it's it's when you come to war, war is murky. Oh, yeah. You know, you go all the way full circle back to Russia, Ukraine. I look over there and I go like, man, I don't have the first like inkling. That's why I bring Tom and Alex in. That's why I bring people like yourself in. Because these are folks, in my opinion, that I look at and I go, okay, well, they got a better handle on it than I ever will. You know, like I, I can follow some of what's going on. Mm-hmm. What you guys talk about makes sense. You know, like th- this is, you know, it's, it's funny. Did you see the meme on Twitter of like, you know, today I'm a, uh, titanic expert the next day i'm a ukraine oh, yeah, uh, yeah, russia yeah. expert yeah. the day after i'm a you know hot cool. weather balloon expert yeah. right and all these different things i'm like yeah and i try and not do that because yeah. i have no you know i'm having enough time right now i'm single parenting this week yeah i got enough time getting in or hard enough time getting in here to get chuck on to then go pick up kids and swimming lessons and on and on and on it goes yeah. you know oh and that's the thing about twitter right we're all an expert for you know, a minute for a, for a tweet, we're all an expert on something. Everybody, you know, has that moment. I think it was, uh, again, Drew and David, one of them had said something about the difference between wisdom and knowledge. You know, this is this thing here in our hands is now all the wisdom and knowledge that anybody thinks they need, but that's, they're not the same thing. And it's not the same as knowing or having experienced a thing. Like, again, about the, the Ukraine, Russia war, I've been to war. I've seen, I've seen what happened in Bosnia in the, in the early nineties during that genocide, during that, that infighting war. I, I've seen things in cost or in, uh, well, I went to Kosovo too, but I, the, the Afghan stuff, we don't want to be sending our kids to war, not with Russia, not with no one. If we have to fight someone, we better, but if we're going to fight, we better be in it to win it. We are not in a, in a condition to win anything right now and we're sending this muppet pm you know he's already bragging about going to the nato summit we don't meet our two percent commitment he brags about that he's bragged about that for years what are we going to do we have a few guys in latvia give me a break like they're going to get steamrolled by the russians the russians now have love them or hate them the most combat experienced army in the world and i'm not talking about an insurgent war that's a different thing Peer-to-peer fighting, peer-to-peer, like power-to-power fighting. They're, NATO hasn't fought a peer-to-peer war ever, like ever. They'll try and say, well, you know, 91 in Iraq, that was peer-to-peer. No, it was a junk army using junk equipment, like against a superpower, a coalition of superpowers. That was not a peer-to-peer war. Peer-to-peer is like what you're seeing in Russia, Ukraine. Those are peers. We have no idea what we're getting into. All the hard lessons that we learned, I talked about lessons learned with the Americans that we we did that with. We learned things that saved lives. We we used their experiences, applied them to us, 
And sure, we had to buff out some stuff. It's like a hockey drill. And when it's it's training, it's one thing. When it's game time, it's another. That's very different when the bullets are actually coming on. A, it's a two-way range now, not a one-way range. That's a whole different feeling. Things need polishing. We learned a lot. When the next crew came over in 06, the RCRs, we tried passing on all the things that we learned. Right down, here's my map. Here's everything that on this map where I fought, where I was hit, where I was ID'd. Here's everything. We're going to go through it all. You know, we, we paid a price for this. This hopefully helps you. All those things are forgotten and gone now. They're all, all the lessons learned, all the guys that are my age that were leaders at that point, they're gone. They're out. I have a couple buddies that are still in, but they are just riding out for pensions now. Um, the Russians paid prices, heavy prices. They, they're not without casualties. They've taken casualties, but they've learned and as much as the fighting end of it is important, this t- the logistical end is just as important, more important. They can manufacture and move stuff from a factory to the front line seamlessly now. They understand drone warfare better than anyone in the world now. Like, I'm not talking like we put up one Reaper, you know, an allied Reaper, a NATO Reaper is in the air and look at us hellfire this one target. They put them up at the platoon level, the 35-man platoon level. They're th- They're throwing up drones left and right. They've got drones in from Iraq that they're Iran that they're buying on swarm. They're buying from China, the parts they're dude, we are so overmatched right now. Ill-equipped. We're, we are, and, and worse than ill-equipped, I can deal with ill-equipped. Most of my military career weren't that well-equipped sometimes. You come you, you overcome that with initiative, some level of initiative and outside the box thinking. The West is so convinced, has so convinced itself that it's just Russia, their conscripts with shovels. We've got, this is not, we, if we're going to fight them and I want to win, if we have to fight them, we are not going about this the right way. And I, I believe that we're very close with an article five when they false flag you, this you plan. You say something very troubling to me and you've said it multiple times now. And that is, if we're going to fight them, I want to win, which I, I get. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fight. I, I Maybe mm-hmm. I'm just, maybe this is, maybe I need to be convinced differently. But I go like, everything I keep learning is we keep backing Russia into a corner. So put put Putin as evil as you want him. Mm-hmm. You put somebody in a corner and keep trying to push them, push them, we're going to put on and on and on it goes. I don't want to go fight that war. No. Like I, I, I actually, I, I when I think about it, I'm like, <sighs> should really go listen to some more Muhammad Ali. You know, mm. there's a guy that ended up um, not going to war, going to prison for his beliefs of mm-hmm. like, I don't want to fight the Viet Cong, right? And I'm like, how did he get to that point? You know, and I'm sure folks, I can go watch a few things, maybe read a couple books and all of a sudden be right in the mindset of where he's at. But I look at where we're heading and I'm like, I don't want to go fight this war. I certainly don't want my kids to go fight this war. I don't believe in this war. Mm-hmm. And... It doesn't mean that war happening on Ukraine soil, you know, we live in a, in a province that's tons of Ukrainians. Yeah. I, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I get it. Yeah. But I'm like, at the same time, we've backed, NATO has backed, maybe worse, maybe, maybe it's the U.S. has backed Russia into a corner. Oh, yeah. That is like, just, I mean, go listen to Tom and Alex. Go listen to what yeah. the Chuck's talking about, like, from 2014, probably sooner than that. Or later than that, I mean, yeah. right? They've been slowly working this way to where where we sit. This isn't 
This okay. didn't happen in February 2022. This wasn't an overnight decision. Correct. This was a long time coming. And it was, for those of us watching the pattern of life, this was inevitable. It was going to happen. Russia was put in a spot where they had to act. They built up and they built up and they they did what they did. Well, Russia's, look how they only took this much. They've taken about 18% of the country the, that they wanted. They could have driven further. And not without loss. People think, well, you must be pro-Russian. You're saying they could have gone. Look, I'm, again, not pro-Russian. I'm a realist when it comes to, to fighting. These guys will continue to push if they thought that. My fear, if this Article 5, there's two fears. Article 5 gets invoked because a false flag happens at this power plant, this nuclear power plant. That's a real possibility. We have about a... <laughs> I'd say a couple week window here where it's a real possibility. The other Isn't that terrifying? It's terrifying. The other fear that I have is we don't negotiate with Russia soon enough. And Putin says, I was nice. I only took 18%. Now I'm taking the other. I'm going for the rest. Because at this point, what does he have to lose? You know, Go back 10 days when, when uh, Wagner Group under Prigerin did their little push. You know, the, the coup where... You know, he was hoping a few commanders would jump in with him or, you know, if you, that's how coups work. You hope that somebody's going to come on board and like, yeah, you know what? I hate Putin. Didn't happen. Worse, and this should be an indicator to the world, the first people that came to Moscow to help Putin were the Chechen group, the Chechen military, special forces. This should be a big indicator that the two civil wars or Russian wars in Chechnya were some of the dirtiest, greasiest most ruthless combat footage you could ever, don't bother watching, it's horrible. Bad wars. These are now his most ardent supporters. These are brutal men. We fought some of them in, in Afghanistan, these Chechens, like in special areas where high opium movement and, you know, top tiered troops. These are not to be, you watch their footage in, a, in Ukraine. These are not, wherever they are is where the push is. Like these are Bad tip dudes. of the tip of the spear type These are, people. Yeah, and and you brought it up earlier about how we always view the enemy as being this horde swarm. Sure. And I'll be down to my last bullet, but I'm going to win it. That's not how this goes. It's not how really I fought a lot of Taliban, like an un, an unusual number of battles in Taliban. Just right right spot, right time, maybe. Um, that's not how these people are fighting. They look like you and me. They look like. You could literally take footage of a Chechen fighter over there and, in, and, and impose that onto the movie The Covenant. They're wearing the same gear. They're undergoing unbelievable training. We tend, and I, this happened to us going to Afghanistan, we tended to think in this format in our brain where they don't look like us. They're wearing man jammies and flip-flops. We're going to steamroll these buggers. We don't know what the Russians had such a hard time with. Well, let me tell you. They don't have to look like us. They don't have to dress like us. They don't have to think like us. They can fight. And this is true around the world. Just because they don't look like us and don't think like us, wash that hubris out of your brain. Like, people can fight. It's not just us. And in fact, we don't have that warrior mentality anymore, as far as I'm concerned. So for for me, this 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 weird world that the West is living in, that something's going to happen where Putin will be removed. It's not. Right now, he's playing kind of with the gloves on. 
He's only gone for 18. He's only, he hasn't pushed beyond where he is because those are the three regions that wanted their own autonomy anyway. Knowing everything you know, mm. right? Knowing that like it could be a false flag on the nuclear power plant. Knowing what happened with Nord Stream. Knowing what happened with the dam and the bridge and everything else. If we declared war tomorrow, NATO mm. said we're going to war. Are you behind NATO 100% then? You have to be in your mind? because, nope. Or are you like, man, can we just sign a peace treaty and, and carry on with life? Sign the peace treaty. Sign the peace treaty, bomb up for... T- I say bomb up. Bomb up is the word we use when we're gearing up. Um, bomb up for 10 years. It's going to take 10 years to rebuild our forces because that's how much we've been drained. Take 10 years of real training with troops ramp up our militaries and if you want to kick rush out go whole hog just have an illegal war you don't need article 5 you don't need it just go do it it'll be an illegal war who cares who's gonna there's no hague court that's gonna throw anybody in jail you know so if we want to do this negotiate them out now just like the germans did at the end of world war one got really bad terms so we'll be back well the Versailles Treaty is a big reason they came back, you know, in World War II. They wanted Alsace-Lorraine. They wanted all the regions back and then some, and we see saw what happened. Negotiate this out. Say, okay, you get those that 18% of Ukraine, th- those three regions that wanted out anyway, that voted themselves out anyway, and then go back. But we're not ready to fight them right now. I'm, we're not ready to negotiate with them right now. Apparently there are, and I, I this is all depending on what you believe, there are some high-level talks happening behind the scenes, and I believe that that always ha- does happen, no matter what. I mean, we were talking to high-level Nazis in World War II behind the scenes, right? Like, these things happen. Well, behind or in closed-door rooms. Closed-door closed door, uh, yeah. meetings. Mm-hmm. And I hope one of them pans out. Otherwise, we're looking at a future where there's going to be a forever war in, you know, potentially kids could be, Good Canadian kids are going to be sent over for this, you know. Well, I just, you know, I always said, oh, my kids are the right age for COVID, right? They were young. Uh, I think when COVID kicked mm-hmm. off and everything, you know, I, I can't remember if Shay was, I think he was four, you know. So he was just insulate, insulate, insulate. But, like, you know, now I'm like, this, you know, you, you think things are going to be so fast. A year and it's done. Mm-hmm. Six months and it's done. Two weeks is over. Yeah, that's right. And what... You know, they don't teach you as a young man, and maybe you're not ready to understand, is like, you know, time moves differently for the things that are this big. Like, it just doesn't happen in the snap of a, a, a finger. You, you and see, so it takes time yeah. and everything. To, so now I'm like, you know, my kid is actually at the worst possible age possible. Because, you know, I, 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 you know, Marty Armstrong, 2032 is a great reset. It's like, well, what does that culminate in? Mm-hmm. And that's nine years away. That puts my kid at 16, 17. That's a blink. That's, and, a blink. and that's that's a terrible, terrible. And I go, and what's making it even worse, honestly, Chuck, is I go, I'm going to have to deal with myself. Because my, I mean, you know, our kids are, are you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to put it po- poetically, folks, yeah. but they're us, right? Yeah. They're, they're a formation of, of, um, of us. And I already know what I was like at 18. Like I, I, I had the world by the tail and I knew everything. You can tell me anything. I'm like, so I'm walking into over the next nine years, my son being like, I know dad. Got it figured out. Got it figured out, yeah. you know? And I now I'm like, I never thought of that before. But now I'm like, I'm actually starting to think like, crap. 
right? Like, you know, because I I go knowing everything. Like, the problem with doing the stupid podcast, I've had this out with my wife before. (laughs) In the middle of COVID, okay? You know, as, as things are heating up and you got the premiers going, you know, go get your vaccine. Uh, you know, it's because of you. We got the pandemic of the unvaccinated. You got the prime minister rolling around on his electoral path mm-hmm. saying, I'm not going to let him on planes, trains, but is it going to save you all? Anyways, you get the point. Yeah. And she's going like, what are you doing? I'm sure a lot of people were thinking that. And when I go back to that, I go, told her, I said, what do you want me to do? You want me to interview all these people? And then just forget about it. Yeah. And never take any of the, you know, like any of what they're talking about and institute it into my life. And if you want that, quit my job tomorrow. Well, actually at the end of the year, I'll finish the podcast out with the, with the sponsors and everything and I'll be done, but I'm never podcasting again because I mean, if I'm going to have people on, I'm going to actually take some of what they're saying to be true and their experience and add it into, you know, lived experience. It's like, yeah. So the problem is with that, the stupid podcast now, I'm like watching what's coming and going like, if we go to war, how the heck can I get behind it? Knowing everything that we've just talked about. And again, what I'm saying is just an opinion. It's an, but it's an opinion based on my experiences and pattern of life. And I, I, I think objectively anybody, you can be pro-Ukraine, like you said, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Lots of Ukrainian, you yeah, know, former, it's not that I hate Ukraine. No, God, I don't. No. They're some of the greatest people on the planet. Hundred percent. This fin- isn't about fin- that. Finland is some of the be- the yeah. nicest, friendliest place I've probably ever yeah. been. Super freaking cool it, people. It, it's just, it's not about that. It's about how do we get out of this war? And I'm telling you, militarily, we're not going to do it. It's. I'd love to be proven wrong. I. They started this counteroffensive three, well, a month ago or now or so. They telegraphed every move in the media. Well, here's what we're going to do and here's what we're going for and this is our objective. Thinking, this is the worst. Do you imagine doing that on D-Day? Well, here's where we're landing with this unit at this time with this kit. Oh, and by the way, worse than that, we're telling you what we're short. Here's our begging list. It, it baffles me. And not one surprise, not one surprise move. This is a counteroffensive. You've had months to dream up some wicked move. Like even we did it in Afghanistan. Like we'd show the hand over here, drive some stuff over here and helo some stuff over here. You know, we had to throw them off as much as you could. I mean, it's Afghanistan. They're pretty hey, it was Cy Campbell, who was in World War II on this podcast, episode 21, mm-hmm. Chuck. And he was a rear, rear tail gunner in a Lancaster mm-hmm. bomber. He didn't fly in D-Day, but what they did on D-Day if I recall this correctly, folks, mm-hmm. is they did they they flew away from it and sprinkled tinsel in the air so that it would show the up radar. on radar yep. as planes. Think about that. Yep. Like that's about a cool story as I can get. It is cool, it, and it's deception, and that's deception. what war is. Yep. Mostly, a lot of it, other than the grinding away, shooting each other, it's deception. It is a lot of deception, and there's been no. I think social media and this ability. This, I've used hubris about a hundred times, but Zelensky's hubris, self-hubris is what is actually costing them right now. He needs to, if his own people don't remove him, and I firmly believe that the CIA is going to give a nod to one of his commanders, under commanders and say, enough, enough with him. He, 
I don't know. He's just mismanaged this. I mean, he it's it's. But, could, but here's 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 once again like Canadians, great mm-hmm. human beings. I've been across the, the, mm-hmm. the country. I've found nothing but great human mm-hmm. beings. We got piss poor leadership. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they, they talk about Zelensky. He ran on. I'm going to bring peace. peace. And what has he brought them? The biggest war in the last hundred years. Yeah. Honestly. Again, it, it, it's the Ukrainian troops, given what they've had, have fought brilliantly, have fought a very hard fight. I'm not taking away from that. But they are not an endless pool of people. And unfortunately, even if you believe that even the stuff that was leaked, that's fairly believable because it wasn't supposed to get out there, there are over 300,000 KIA, you know. The Russians probably aren't a whole lot behind that, although I don't believe they're quite at that number. Like they are proportionally, they're not taking the casualties that the Ukraine Ukraine is. And that's mostly due to air superiority and artillery. Russia's firing tens of thousands of rounds a day. Ukraine is firing not nearly that, like a couple thousand a day. Like they, they don't have the rounds. It's... It's a war of attrition and this plays into Russia's hands and people just are not getting that. Like, even if they, all they had was shovels, we're not going to, you know, it just isn't that war, you know, like they, they, these, like I've said it earlier, these two narratives of we'll beat Russia, it's conscripts with shovels. Oh God, we're losing this war, send more stuff. Well, how are conscripts with shovels beating us? By us, I mean the West. I mean, how are they... You think most people are paying attention to it? I think they were. Of course, there's burnout from it now, and that's why occasionally you see Zelensky has to keep popping into something. He had Greta Thunberg, you know, a couple days ago because she's a world leader apparently that matters in the war in Ukraine. Um, He always has some Hollywood guy or some other political knob show up for a photo op, and that gets him another $500 and prolongs this thing. Then he runs back to his bunker. And here we are. Like, I, I, he, look, somebody in his inner circle is going to get the tap from the CIA. And I think if they waste, I mean, waste in a positive way, if they waste their opportunity to Article 5 that, you know, blow up that nuclear power plant, and I hope they don't do it, if that misses, if that doesn't happen, and I hope it doesn't, somebody from his inner circle will get the tap, coup, do him in, get him gone. He won't go into exile. There's no, where, where is he going to go to exile? That, that doesn't happen these days. Where's Gaddafi going to go into exile? You know, like that kind of thing. Then there'll be a negotiated peace. And then, yeah, take 10 years, rebuild, sort your stuff out, get, then go after Russia if you want. But do it to win. I, I've said this about Afghanistan a bunch of times. I didn't mind fighting. I wasn't, I wasn't against the battles. I wasn't against the I, idea of why we were there. I had no problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. Most of the combat vets I know, and I mean combat vets, guys who fought in combat, which is a small percentage, don't have a problem with that. I have a problem that we lost a war that we won every fight in. You talked about time earlier. We spent, what, damn near 15, 16, 17 years there. And again, the West, not just Canada. Canada was there till what, 2014, I think. Um, so we spent about... A long period of time, 14, 15 years there. These same think tank geniuses that were in charge of that, like 18 year war, then overlay that view onto Russia and say, well, it's, we're going on a year and a half and all they've taken is 18% of the country. Dude, 
We didn't take 8% of the country in Afghanistan after 19 years. If we didn't physically sit on it, it was Taliban controlled. And the second we stepped off of that spot and went somewhere else, it was Taliban controlled. That's the neat, the same think tanker guys are the guys sinking us right now because they're, they're idiots. They're hubris. There's nobody in a think tank. It's like, well, if you can't do coach or teach, well, that's what a think tanker is. If he can't, hasn't done it and can't do it, go sit in a think tank and tell people how it is. Because these are the same people that said, well, 19 years to win this war, that's about right. Well, it's telling, trying to convince you and me that Russia must be weak because it's taken them a year and a half to, to take 18% of the country. No, they took that 18% actually pretty quick. They've just been sitting on it. They're not going anywhere. They'll fight positional battles. They'll move a few kilometers here and there. There's still always going to be those moves, but they're, they're not really pushing towards Kiev. If they want Kiev, you know, they'd make that push and maybe they will negotiate. I, I, it, even if you don't agree with me, ask yourself why nobody's negotiating. Get some terms on the table, get Putin to the table and say, how do we get you out of here? Nobody's even doing that. Then nobody's asking that question. Why is nobody at least opening up the dialogue? Nobody wants that dialogue. They want another forever war and Ukraine's a perfect spot to do it. It's not Lindsey Graham, that American Senator piece of shit human. He's just a vile, lecherous human. He's just evil. Um, said it in an interview or uh, like a round table thing with some Ukrainian leadership. Like this is the best way, best way, best money spent is killing these Russians with Ukrainians. Well, you couldn't, you said the quiet part out loud, like you're, they are going to fight to the last Ukrainian and that pot's getting quickly emptied, you know. And that's why you feel for the Ukrainians. I do. Right? I, for the average Ukrainian who's just, you know, not political at all and just wants to live a life. Like most people anywhere in the world. Just want to live life. They just want to live a life. Our, our, our basic, uh, I was just, I literally, before you showed up, I was literally having this conversation. Most of us just want to make a, mm-hmm. you know, sir, could you, do you want to be rich? So you could never have a worry. Sure. Mm-hmm. But most of us want to be able to pay our bills, uh, put our kids in whatever they want to do, yep. be able to travel a little bit and yep. just not have to worry about yep. every day, you know, oops, the car broke down and I don't have enough money or you, you get the point. That's yep. pretty much most of us. That's it. I would say majority. Now there is a small portion that want to push it harder and want to have it so they can literally travel the world whenever they want and have every last nice thing under the sun. Yep. You get the point. That's most people in the world. That isn't just here. That's that's everywhere I've went. That's that's most people. They just want to be left alone. Afghanistan, in the middle of nowhere villages, you know, with 500 people in these villages that hadn't traveled more than 10 kilometers in their life. They just wanted to be left alone. They didn't want our well. They didn't want our help. They didn't want the Taliban either. They just wanted to be left the hell alone. And you're, you know, you're like, but we're here to help you. Like, we don't need your help, but you don't have a well. We, we, we have what we have. We, we're good. This village has been there a couple thousand years and they've somehow managed before those of us really smart dudes from Canada showed up, they're probably going to be fine. They just don't want, you know, and I, and I try to overlay that view on the rest of the world. Like you try to without too much bias. It's just leave people alone. I get it. Putin did a bad thing. He went, he did this thing. It is bad. It's horrible. It's not going to get better by not negotiating. You know, you have an old, an argument with your old lady. 
well, we'll just I'll ignore her for a day or two. This will, yeah, see how that works out. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> like, not comparing anybody's wife to Putin, but just saying that. Uh, well, there's probably a couple <laughs> of wives out there like Putin. <laughs> probably. But, uh, you know, if you're not going to talk about it and talk it out, it just, it's this isn't getting better without talking about it. What's the next wonder weapon? I said this on Twitter a while ago. We've sent them fighting vehicles. We've sent them kit, uh, medical supplies, money, weaponry, uh, Leopard 2s now, which are state-of-the-art tanks with all this, the newer ones. Yes, they're old, but they're updated. You know, they've got good stuff in them. The next wonder, we- well, wonder weapon is troops on the ground. And that's it. But you can send F-16s, sure. F-16s are not the game. Okay, you've watched Maverick. It's a great, oh, we've got f I don't care. I don't, dude, I don't care. The Russians have some of the best air defense systems in the world. They have, they have an air force that's now extremely combat qualified. Like they fly missions daily. Like they're no joke. And you're going to take a handful of trained Ukrainian pilots, shove them into F-16s, which they're not that familiar with, that they have basic training in. They'll be out of the sky in a week. You're going to send them now. So what next? You're going to send NATO in there. You're going to article five and send NATO in. Well, the air force will win. You're not rolling through Iraq that didn't have an air force really. And minimal, like a few SAM sites. Like this isn't that. That's they, they are overlaying the wrong mindset onto this war. And sure. Give it 10 years and build, take all these lessons learned. And I've said this a million times, take all these lessons learned that the unfortunate Ukrainians have now paid this price in, apply that to future NATO training and equipment acquirement and doctrine, and then go after Russia if you want. Go for it. I'm not against a war. I'm just against fighting ones that you can't win. I don't fight all day. I fought, I went back to Afghanistan to fight because we were winning every fight, not realizing that, Jesus, this has been, I said it in that in the documentary, like I don't want to be here for 15 years, but who knows me. Well, sure as shit, we were there for close to 15 years. I don't, none of us minded fighting. You know, we weren't like, you know, ooh, didn't expect this. We knew what we were getting into. I don't want to fight to loot, just to, to fight a losing war. You know, the, every single battle we won over there. It doesn't matter how many battles you're winning if people are making sure that war is unwinnable. And that's where we're at. Well, I appreciate you, uh, Rolling down to old Lloyd Minster uh, to sit and have a chat. Before I let you out of here, I was going to ask a crude master final question today. Um, Who's uh, maybe one uh, one guy you're keeping an eye on for? I'm not. Doesn't even have to be Russia Ukraine information, but certainly just you you like. You know, we've talked a lot about Jordan Peterson today. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a guy or girl out there that you're you're paying attention to that you really? enjoy their perspective honestly a lot of the guests that you have on are people that i kind of you had chris sims on um i was i remember being at your the sean newman uh, presents in uh, edmonton in edmonton not yeah. too long ago and she was one of your speakers there all your speakers were great there but she's um i like about her is she's able to speak about fairly complex issues like the tax system and where things really are not where we're being told they are by the government um and she's able to break that down for dudes like me like you know and i understand them when she explains them and and so 
I, so I follow a few people. Her, she's one of them, and people like her in that in that uh, financial world. And I can't wait to hear what you're going to have on with uh, Mr. Armstrong because that's right where people need to hear. Um, Peterson's a good weather vane too. Like he's got a very good take on yeah, where things finger are. on the pulse. He does, yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, can't. It's not just one person anymore. A lot of your guests are great for that. Um, even if they're not. You had Shane Wenzel on, and you, and you it didn't you didn't go too deep into it, but a little bit about the uh, you know where gender things are in school, and you know that's and that's a tough topic, right? It's a it's a that's a difficult thing because there's always a label to be thrown at somebody if you have even the conversation. But you had the you you had a bit of a conversation with them about it, and I thought that was valuable. Um, those things are valuable. Just having the conversation is valuable. You have a good range of guests that, like, I don't know what I'm going to say. You're going to, you have like some pretty smart dudes on here. You know, listen to Drew and Dave and I'm like, Jesus, what am I going to say that's going <laughs> to, or the Luongo and uh, the other fellow, I can't remember his name. Uh, Alex Craner. They're just brilliant dudes, you know, and I'm like, I see stuff, I shoot stuff, I blow stuff up. That's been my life. Yeah, you know? but I mean, all the people <laughs> you've mentioned uh, don't have your skill set, you know. We all have our yeah. interesting skill yeah. sets that lend to uh, different conversations and can add in some perspective and everything else. You know, when I first started the the SMP Presents, one of the things I was trying to do was uh, bring in different backgrounds to talk about a certain problem. That was the original idea, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've kind of drifted a little bit from that. And at times I think about trying to get back to that Mm -hmm. because a military guy with your background can talk to, you know, a lawyer and a lawyer can be talking about a problem and you can just see it from a different play. Or a different experience, you know, and they kind of overlap, yep. although they're not the same. And you can all learn and, and talk to different problems. But either way, I appreciate you uh, rolling in and doing this. It never disappoints sitting down with uh, with well, Sir I, Chuck. I, I joke it. because the audience, after the last time you guys were on, was have Chuck back on for Chuck <laughs> Tales, you know. And <laughs> so, uh, anyways, I appreciate you coming and doing this. And uh, it won't be the last time. At some point here, we'll have you back on. And if Jamie's listening somewhere... You got to make sure that you you reach back out because love to have you back on as well. So either way, thanks for coming and and doing this. Oh, I love the uh, love the opportunity to be here, Sean. It's always fun. Hey, thanks for tuning in today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Today's episode has been brought to you by CalRock Industries. With new used and refurbished oil and gas equipment in stock, CalRock is your best bet when it comes to finding equipment that fits your needs, is within your budget, and is ready as soon as you need it. They can even custom manufacture tanks and other equipment for your specific application. They're located here in Lloydminster, but I'm sure they can serve you wherever you are at. All you got to do is go to calrock.ca for more information. I also want to remind people that Patreon, I just started posting back on it. Uh, We're going to give her a go here for the next six months. So if you want to go down in the show notes, you can click on that. Feel free to support. Don't support. It's behind a paywall. So uh, the money is coming back to the podcast. And we got a little behind the scenes uh, action happening there. So love to see and hear your guys' comments on that. Either way, we'll catch up to you on the next episode.